It's December, which means, oh, we're going to get a visit by uh, Santa Hutch. I know it. It happens every year. Santa Hutch stops by and gives us all, all his Christmas gift ideas. As we bring you into Ingoal Radio, the podcast, Darren Millard, along with the co-founders of Ingoal Magazine, David Hutchison, no relation to Santa Hutch. I don't want to throw anything off and uh, disappoint the kiddies there. Uh, and it's Kevin Woodley, uh, who's in the lower mainland, uh, following the Vancouver Canucks and all things goaltending as they roll through both the National Hockey League and the American Hockey League uh, for this first year. What a great, great opportunity that has been uh, to uh, be able to lean on goalies and goalie coaches. So uh, we uh, welcome Hutch uh, back. I know you were here last week, but we we didn't quite clear up where you were a couple of weeks ago when you were on special assignment. Are you okay to give us that? background before we tee up today's episode well yeah i am okay and uh put a lot of pressure on me as i was editing that episode and i hear hutch will be reporting back to us on his special assignment sometimes i like to just go away work on a few things and not have to share but uh the pressure was on so here i'm ready to share um two things guys two things before we get into the special assignment just want to mention black friday is now behind us but i know people are still looking for that great christmas present for uh for the goalie in their house and cam and woody will have a little bit on that in a few minutes but uh i just want to add to the list don't forget a gift subscription to in goal magazine uh there's a link right on the main page and if you uh sign up for gifts gift subscription We'll send a little notice on the date of your choosing to your loved one just to let them know that you've given them this gift. You can type in a little special note. You can even download a little gift certificate that you can print out and put under the tree or in the stocking if you want. And not only will they get a full year of content at InGoal, which includes, you know, 50 plus pro reads, all sorts of great drills and tips and so on, but they'll get access to the entire archive of our material. That's uh, over 100 pro reads, guys, 100 chances to sit down with NHL goaltenders and learn from them. And we're about to cross the threshold of over 500 pieces of content up at ingoldmag.com now, boys. So, so much fantastic goalie goodness there. And I know the goalie in your life would love to receive it, whether it's, uh, you know, the coach that works with your son and you just want to thank them, or maybe it's your daughter, the goaltender you want to share it with, or mom and dad love the position and they want to know a bit more. Share a gift subscription with them. But here's the new one, guys. Here's the special assignment. Uh, I've been working away. Just need a little bit of extra time to make this happen. This is going to come as a shock to the two of you, I think. And that's that there's the odd person out there that doesn't want to listen to us talking about all this stuff, but loves the interviews with our goaltenders. Do you guys, do you guys binge watch ever on Netflix? Darren, do you binge watch something on Netflix? Sure. I, I, I binge listen the Ingle Radio podcast. I listen to well, us, then I skip the interviews, and then I listen to us again. And then you just listen to us. Okay, yeah. so if you're the opposite to Darren, yeah. if you want to skip us and just listen to the feature interviews, we've got a new um, premium podcast channel where you can listen to the feature interviews only. No intros, no ads, no gear segment, no nothing, just pure goalie goodness. And you can binge them. You can just listen to one after the other after the other. If you just want to focus in on the feature interviews, um, you can do that now. And that's what I was setting up. Now, wow. it's going to be the archives. So things that have run already. It's not going to be the last three months or so. You've got to just stick with our regular podcast channel for the most recent stuff. 
But maybe you want to go back. You've been a recent subscriber to the podcast and you want to hear that first interview with Roberto Luongo driving through the streets of Vancouver with Kevin Woodley. Maybe you want to hear from Los Angeles Kings goaltending coach Bill Ranford on his history as a goaltender and uh, and as a coach. Maybe one of the most requested episodes, Thatcher Demko talking about everything he did as a young goaltender to help him become the pro that he is today. Uh, head over to ingoalmag.com. And if you hit the podcast uh, link there, you'll be able to get in and find out how to subscribe to this special channel. It's a paid one, guys. It's a, it's a little bit different. Um, I, I admit that it's uh, not necessarily going to be there for everybody, but if you're really into it, um, you can subscribe monthly or annually and you can listen in on all those feature interviews or top right of the screen, you can send a gift subscription to the end goal features channel as well to uh, the favorite goalie in your life. So there's the special thing. Got it all set up. There's about 10 interviews up there for people to listen to on that feature channel right now. We're adding roughly one a day and you'll have wow. a, a huge catalog of them very soon to listen to. Nothing but goalies, nothing but interviews. Would love for people to subscribe. No, no, not, not to feel kind of hurt by this, but your special assignment was freezing Hutch and I out? Hutch and I and Woody, yeah. Yeah, but basically, I was just cutting us out. Sorry, Woody and I. Well, no, say, listen. I, I mean, do the at the same time, yeah. I do. And then the other well. thing is, if if people want, I mean, you could send us an email to podcast at ingoalmag.com. And uh, if you'd like nothing but Darren Millard, we could create another channel where we cut Woody and myself out. We cut out the feature interviews. And you could just listen to Darren's intros and segues uh, to your heart's content. We could make that happen if there's enough interest, Darren. We'll, I'll, I'll let you know next yeah, week I'm, how many people have sent me a I'm going to start the groundswell uh, uh, pro process uh, uh, of that. Um, I don't wonder if we'll have more requests for that or e-bugs in the next week. We had, we had a couple of, I should also mention, Jamie Storr is going to stop by in just a little bit. Uh, our feature interview brought to you by Sensorina. And then we have a cool conversation with John Mattis from The Score, who's got a podcast project uh, on goaltenders uh, goalies are weird is the name of it uh, don't get too caught up in the title uh, but it's it's talking about goalies from the 90s so we'll give you an idea on that as we uh, expose you to more goalie uh, stories from around the world and of course the hockey shop the hockeyshop.com source for sports Surrey, our presenting sponsor of in goal radio the podcast we will visit with cam matwit uh, and we'll talk about uh, gift ideas uh, there's 10 little gift ideas uh, for you to put under the tree, not big, huge purchases, but something that you can supplement uh, under the tree, like uh, something along the line of a, an Ingol a Mag subscription. So all that coming up as uh, the Hockey Shop, thehockeyshop.com and Source for Sports Story bring you Ingol Radio, the podcast. I, I mentioned uh, whether more people would support hearing a channel dedicated to me or e-bugs. Like, how about that? Two in one week uh, this week, Woody. Yeah, it's uh, I'm I'm mixed on this one, right? Like like we love the e-bug story. The NHL clearly loves the e-bug story. I I cringe a little uh, as much as it ended up being a great story because of how he handled it. I mean, goes buckets off, gets the solo lap with the Blues helmet off for the solo lap, like tons of swagger and style. I loved that. But the Blues actually could have got an NHL caliber goaltender, a NHL experience goaltender into their roster for that night in Charlie Lindgren. But they didn't get a cap except like the cap. They couldn't call him up for cap reasons until the next day. This is much right. like the Toronto um, incident earlier yeah. this year that I kind of railed on. And like, I'm seeing a lot of articles now come out about, hey, maybe we 
for the sake of COVID exemptions, maybe we need to introduce a taxi squad type goaltender situation, a third goaltender situation, because I'm sorry, like they are great stories and we love the e-bugs and the opportunities for them to tell their story and share their style and their swagger like we saw last night. But this is a $5 billion league and you've got a guy basically going from beer league in the morning to the NHL bench on at night when you have high level beer league. Well, yeah, of course. I mean, aren't all. Isn't it all high level? <laughs> yes. Uh, but uh, yeah. like, honestly, like, so I'm, I'm torn on that, but awesome stories and, and good for them. And, and listen, I'm all for the pure natural guy gets hurt late, can't get somebody in to have, it's a, it's a good system. But like when you literally could have brought a guy in, but you didn't because you couldn't afford it under the, like it's a cap issue. Um, to me, that's where we have a, where we have a bit of a problem. And I, I know I'm not so alone on that one. Columbus had uh, an e-bug practice uh, because both their goaltenders were banged up. And then uh, it was the St. Louis Blues who had the e-bug uh, actually back up uh, for a game. And he went uh, mask off, helmet off uh, for the for the pregame warm-up. Curious, because I've, I've never seen it before from a goaltender. But I understand it because the hot lap and i don't know whether he actually got the actual the, the official hot lap he, he, he did, did and that he was did. and that's actually nice. what made it cool like okay. I, i'll give you yeah. credit on this one his name's his name's kyle conan i hope i pronounce that right and he's actually uh a, an airbrush like a mask artist uh down in right. tampa bay and he skates with a bunch of high level guys so like this isn't like a you know it's not me coming off like my over forty league to like this guy can actually play I I get that and it was a great story and I love how the Blues handled it by sending him out for a hot lap as a goaltender and he did it without do you his go bucket off, bucket off like that is a, do you, oh yeah but do you guys go bucket off or do you want to show the mask in in all the pictures Ooh, hey that's uh, a good one I mean I think you should go bucket off that was so cool what he did there but given that he's the mask artist himself he missed a marketing right. opportunity there didn't he yeah exactly I, the only the other thing because he missed, all of course, the all the pictures we saw were of him with the bucket off that was cool but if if he wears the bucket then any pictures shown every picture shown will be of him with his mask and it includes the story that he's a mask painter so I Business, what personally, good, good choice. Business, I think that uh, that he maybe missed uh, a good. Or maybe he grabs so much attention, people are willing to go and look at some of the stories because I know there's a couple up that have okay. some of his masks. I I think he missed the opportunity to have the backup towel on too and really cement it on that hot lap. Mm-hmm. Well, listen, listen, like two things here. One, pretty sure he probably didn't have a choice. If they like, I've never seen an e bug get a get a hot lap. I'm pretty sure the boys were telling him how he was doing that hot lap. Yeah, like, you're probably that would, right. be, that would be my guess, right? Yeah. And the other thing, he, like this, like he just ha- appears to have a ton of swagger and style and confidence, and so it's the right personality to do 100%. that. So I'm all for it. The other part is, I'm guessing the answer to that depends on he's 23. My guess would be he's single. That would be the difference in in how you answer that question. You're, you're, I remember an NHL defenseman who used to go buckets off and somebody asked him why he went buckets off in the warm-ups. He's like, and, and he used to stay out late too. And he's like, because you, you, you got to give the ladies in the crowd one last look. <laughs> uh, that's, uh, I'll, I'll take that theory. Uh, that's pretty good. Yeah, he, and, and he didn't just do the hot lap. Like he stayed out there for, for a little bit uh, without the bucket. I, I enjoyed it. It was, it was fun. And yeah, he probably didn't have a choice. I don't think he was had to be asked twice uh, to to go out there without his bucket, but 
he, he probably didn't have a choice. That was um, that was great. And your 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 comment about five billion dollar industry and uh, emergency backups uh, being able to uh, or, or like professionals being able to called up uh, without the salary cap implications. Teams will just spend to the to the cap and say, "I need a backup." Like it just it would just be another loophole. That honestly is is what it was. And with points being as valuable as they are, uh, if teams are going to chance it, they're going to be bit. Like we haven't had that. It's crazy, but we haven't had the e-bug disaster yet, have we? Well, where the guy goes in and gets absolutely torched. No, you're right. Yeah, no, it's true. That's it has happened. We got yet. a couple. We got it's a couple it, wins, right? Like we got a couple, like the Chicago and and obviously David Ayers, and like we got wins out of it, out of the bat, and playing for a significant amount of time in the disaster scenario. So you're right. Um, it goes to show you goaltending doesn't exist in a vacuum to an extent, right? Like, like, yeah. you know, things tighten up a little bit. All of a sudden it gets a little harder to get scoring chances when you're defending. Amazing how, how well guys can defend when they've got a guy, you know, from the local beer leagues in net. That's gotta be the speech by the, the, the coach going to the third period with a four, two lead guys pretend we got the e-bug in that <laughs> play. Like we got the e-bug in that because it, it has seemed to work, but that, I'll be curious in a year uh, or two when the next debug goes in and gets just dismantled on the ice uh, and they're scoring from everywhere because that's what NHL players do, uh, whether or not teams will will change their approach a little bit. Hutch, would you want to go in? Do I want to? I was just feeling sorry for... The American League guys who can't get called up and and grab that one paycheck that might really matter for yeah. them, I actually think the union should get involved in that from that perspective a little bit. Team get team gets off the hook. Uh, what do the e bugs get? They get a they get their jersey and not much else. Although the boys in the room pass the hat around usually, and that's not even on the team either. So I feel a little bit bad for the guy who missed the call up opportunity. If you're playing minor minor league hockey, that could uh, could be pretty significant for you. I was wondering. Speaking of, you know, goaltending doesn't exist in a vacuum, whether Woody could pull up the clear sight uh, numbers on David Ayers or Scott Foster. Do we have any any clear sight numbers? And maybe when he's doing that, he could uh, tell us a little bit about the article he had up this week, too, because uh, it's been super well received just looking at the quarter poll results over at InGoal. I don't think I have the archives in front of me that go back far enough for either of those two guys, but we definitely had this year's numbers and adjusted numbers up for the quarter poll. Um, and kind of interesting, just basically taking a look at some of the stories around the league, who's, who should be the top Vesna candidates, um, based on how they're performing relative to the shot quality they face. And, and kind of interesting that some of the other quarter poll stories, um, from around the league came out of, you know, staff members from places like NHL.com where I work, but don't, I'm not a staffer, so I don't get a vote on the Vesna stuff. Um, they came out with theirs and there were some differences in the names, uh, some really big differences <clears throat> between what people are reading into the raw numbers, the raw save percentage and what we see in the adjusted numbers. And the biggest omission, frankly, is Igor Shesterkin, who uh, statistically leads the National Hockey League right now, both in terms of adjusted save percentage uh, and or is right there tied with Markstrom and adjusted save percentage, but certainly in goals saved above expected. And who are the four names up that we saw from us? No, no, on the uh, on the quarter pool uh, board, you you were talking about names that were missing. Oh, well, that's from the NHL.com uh, the piece. You mean Kevin? Yeah, from the NHL. Yeah, Shesterkin for sure was missing from the NHL.com piece. Um, you know, given he was our probably leader in the clubhouse at this point, neck and neck with Markstrom, to not even see him mentioned there was a little bit of a shock. 
Um, Robin Lehner was the other one, Darren. And that's like, to me, Shesterkin's somewhat obvious. Lehner's a bit of a, that's a little more, that requires a little more research and, and digging into these advanced numbers. Like Lehner's, what's, what's his raw save percentage? Like 913 right now? In a year, in yeah. a year where we've got guys like Jack Campbell flirting with 950 at a 20 game sample size, like it's really nine and nine record. Yeah, really hard. Uh, yeah, kind of hard. It's yeah, kind of hard to look at a guy with a league average save percentage and say he should be a Vesna Trophy winner. But when it comes to what he's doing relative to the shot quality he's facing and the environment he plays behind, again, Vegas is obviously a ton of injuries play into this. Not they're a bad team, but. With the injuries, they have not been good defensively. And, you know, Lehner is, he should be in this conversation. He's fourth in adjusted save percentage right now, only behind Shesterkin, Campbell, and Markstrom. And so that's another guy who who didn't get any votes. Jordan Bennington, who's sixth on our list, um, or he might have been a little lower at the quarter poll, but he's bumped up the last couple of games. Obviously, there's a week between the, or five days between the story being published and us talking. Um, there's That's another name that isn't in there. Ilya Sorokin doesn't get a lot, get a lot of love and should. Um, so, yeah, there's some names there. Where are you on Bob right now? Bob's kind of slipped. He was in that conversation for a while, um, and he was making your preseason prediction look brilliant. Uh, you know, he saw him get pulled the other night after three quick ones. He's had, I think, three yeah, straight. It's going to happen. Yeah, of course. There's three straight sort of not great statistical games. Um, he's still in the, he's still like in that. I can't remember. I don't know the seventh on the list. Yeah. So he's still top 10 in our numbers at the quarter poll. So he's definitely in that conversation. To me, you know, we went beyond on the article, though, and this is for in-goal premium subscribers. Go check it out. Um, we didn't just give you who was the best. We really dug into some of the narratives around them and some of the guys that were there uh, that might surprise you, like Laner and Bennington and why. And then some of the guys that, you know, would be on other lists, like Tristan Jari has a 938 Ross A percentage. So he's definitely he's like t- one of the top goalies in the NHL right now in that regard. But when you adjust it and you realize how good the Penguins are playing defensively in front of them, he slides just out of the top 10 on our list. So we explained why. Jonathan Quick's probably an even greater example. Um, you know, when this was published, I think Quickie was running a 928 uh, and, and in the top 10 in the National Hockey League from that number. When you adjusted it for environment, he actually dropped to 30th. Like, so he's still playing above what's expected for where he's playing, but not to the extent that the raw numbers would suggest. So we broke that down. And then the other narrative we really broke down was I heard a lot of people sort of discussing who's their Vesna trophy leader. And let's be honest, there's three quarters of a season left, so it doesn't matter. But some of the narratives that start to get built at this time of the year, like it's important to sort of nip the ones that aren't accurate in the bud. And one of them that we got into was the Jacob Markstrom. Well, it must be the system and the system only because Dan Vladar, his backup, has a 946 and two shutouts and Jacob's got a 938 and five, but it must just be the team because his backup's playing great. And Shesterkin, he must be like awesome because his backup's really struggling. Alexander Georgiev statistically, when you look at the environment for the backups, because the sample size is a lot smaller, it is night and day. Like Dan Vladar, again, he's been good, but he sort of falls into the mid 20s in adjusted save percentage. His expected save percentage is the highest in the National Hockey League at 928 by a huge margin. Hmm. And so Jacob Markstrom's is not that far off of, it's like 891. He's right down there, you know, just above Shesterkin. So you you look at the backups and you go, well, this guy's backup's playing well. It must be all about the system, but they're not seeing the same quality of shots. And 
Sometimes that can be, what, Dan Vladar's played five games. So they pick and choose the right five games. Maybe his teammates just absolutely love him. They know how important this is. And so they're really buckling down, you know, much like, you know, they make, make the joke about the e-bug. At the end of the day, for whatever reason, whether it's opponent situation or them just really playing well, he has had a bit of an easier time of it. And a guy like Alexander Georgiev, who everybody loves to rip on, has one of the lowest expected save percentages in the National Hockey League. He's getting thrown into really tough situations. Uh, struggling a bit behind him, like he is below expected, but not nearly the margin most would expect from his raw numbers. And so Shishterkin looks so much better because of those raw numbers. But when you adjust them, it's like, yeah, you know what? Like comparing what Vladar has done to what uh, Georgiev has done and judging Markstrom and Shishterkin based on that is just totally inaccurate and and likely unfair. It, it discounts how good Jacob Markstrom has been, frankly. Do you think they should have an influence on Vesna Trophy voting? All these intricate numbers i 100 percent. i think they should because yeah. it's context like if we're just going off wins on raw save percentage like you don't need to be a goalie expert to know that shots are not created equally that a shot from even a good shot from the face-off dot if he's coming at you in a straight line versus one that's a one-timer on a cross-ice pass those are two entirely different worlds and what these statistics do is measure um, that quality and and allow you to okay. compare. It's not perfect. It's not perfect. No, no. Uh, but the the my question the value added context has to be in, in considered. Otherwise, there is no one in the National Hockey League that can watch all these guys play every game and say this guy's better because there's just no way. If you don't have that context, you're pulling numbers that you, frankly you're talking out of your app. Thank you, uh, because my question was not intended. Just ask the dumb question to get beat over the head. <laughs> uh, there was uh, there was a method behind uh, the the uh, query. It's you uh, are famous for saying that not enough work or effort or research is put into uh, Vesna Trophy voting. Hundred percent. Now, if half the league, if half the league is doing this, and half the league's not, or a quarter of the league is doing using your research and half the, like, the 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 numbers the the votes are going to be all over the place like, they are usually right I, I, do we and and hutch is, is like looking at me weird but but if if a quarter of the league is using the the fancy stats the analytics and and 75 percent of the league is going off of of save percentage and wins and shutouts then you're going to have disparity it's just going to jumble it all up hey, listen I but the lack of disparity wouldn't make it better or more accurate i mean if everybody goes off wins and losses it doesn't make it a better vote and the fact that only a quarter of the teams might go off these sort of numbers doesn't make it worse and if anything having some people at least looking at the right things or better things anyway surely that improves the situation a little bit and at very least, I think that Kevin and the folks at ClearSight Analytics and other places are at least getting out into the open this conversation of, of what is it that a goaltender is doing? What makes a goaltender valuable? What separates the great from the good? Yeah. I think these conversations are all incredibly important. You know that. Out. You yeah. know that. But uh, I, I bet you, Hutch, I worked 10 years, t 10 years away from, from this actually influencing the Vesna trophy vote. Well, and here's the problem. Like, and 
I don't want to spend too much time on this, but just take it away from the GMs. Like I know, and not everyone on the media side, like I, I don't have a vote. I'm not in the PW, uh, Professional Hockey Writers Association, PHWA anymore. <laughs> you, you didn't know the acronym, so you had to say it out loud. Yeah, I did. Because <laughs> I, I do that all the I time. I remember what it All was. the time. I get it mixed up. Yeah. Um, actually, I do that what? all the time. The PHWA and the PWHPA, the, the Women's Hockey yeah. Association, that kind of has thrown me for a loop. So um, I'm not in it anymore because I work for NHL.com, so we don't qualify because we're not independent, I guess. But I actually don't mind because the amount you used to, if you took your job seriously, the voting, you could spend days agonizing, looking over the numbers because you didn't want to just, you know, write the popular, you know, you just want, didn't want to by default put Patrice Bergeron down for the Selkie every year or Ryan O'Reilly. Mm-hmm. Like you wanted to dig and you wanted to find. And I think a lot of journalists, and I won't say all, but a lot of them put that type of effort into it. A lot of, I mean, I've heard stories about, you know, general managers. Some of them asked their goalie coach. Like some of them for sure ask their goalie coach for input on this. And I've had some of those goalie coaches want to take a look at some of these adjusted numbers before they weigh that feedback. But I've also had multiple times goalie coaches be like, eh, I can't put that guy at the top of my list because my GM hates him. So I better put him number two, then he'll actually vote for him, but he won't vote for him number one. Multiple times. So the fact that this can become a popularity contest and there's only 32 voters, the whole thing is freaking absurd. Brian Burke said it if many you, times. We we screw up goaltending more than anything. Why are we the ones voting on who's the best this year? If if you gave a general manager the choice, Selkie or Vesna, which award would the general manager feel more comfortable voting on? I think the Selkie, no? I think so, too. Yeah. I mean, we've had GMs and, say and, it out and loud. The Selkie, the Selkie is the toughest vote, with all due respect to goaltending. 100%. None of us know, even if we watch the, the thousand well, it's games. gotten the furthest from the intention when it was created of any award out there, hasn't it? I mean, it used, well, to, be spo- it used to be Bob award, defense, the best defensive forward. forward, and now it's the best high-scoring forward best who plays a little bit in his own end. scores points. Yeah, 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 ridiculous. Play, and, and scores some points. You got to be a top 10 scorer yeah. to be to be winning. The well, South hey, South. let's be honest, though. Like, goaltending was probably, as, as the people like to say, voodoo for the voting purposes as well until we started to get these types yeah. of numbers, right? And right. again, it's just now we have added context. I just think that the journalists would probably be more willing to examine the added context. Um, although then maybe maybe I say that incorrectly because the NHL.com quarter poll award missed several of the biggest names and we had that information out there. So, um, you know, it's, it's, it's not easy as I guess what I'm saying. Like a lot goes into those votes and I don't think everyone puts as much into them as they perhaps should, including James. Woody, Woody <sighs> lists are hard. They are. Exhibit A, yeah. our visit with Cam over at the hockey shop, thehockeyshop.com, source for sports three. Like coming up with 10 or five, like it, it's just hard. Well, it's, it's, it's especially hard when you can't even count to 10 as is Cam's case. Um, and, you know, I, I think, folks, I'm going to remind you here, like, two things on this one before we get into Cam's 10 Christmas gift items. Uh, one, make sure if you're looking to get the the goalie gear you need for the goalie in your life under the tree in time, do not wait till a week before Christmas. Um, shipping is an extra challenge right now here in the lower mainland because of the flooding that has basically knocked out uh, our access to the eastern part of Canada for weeks at a time, days at a time, and now still is a little hit and miss. Um, so shipping is delayed. Um, so be sure to get in and get early if you're looking for Christmas items. Two, Santa Hutch did a great job about telling you about the In Goal Magazine subscription 
um, as a Christmas gift item. I want to make sure that people remember they can go check out these gear segments on YouTube because Santa Cam had a hat on. I mean, we have clearly blown this guy's head up way too much. This thing looked like it was like he was trying to wear a thimble for a hat. His head has gotten so big, the hat doesn't even fit anymore. So he tried to be Santa Cam, um, but he, he looked like the fat guy in a little suit skit. I listen to these segments uh, on the podcast, and then I always go over because I'm curious to see what the heck is actually happening. Because you guys do have way too much fun. It, it is great. The Hockey Shop, uh, thehockeyshop.com, source for Sports Surrey, your uh, source for everything goaltending. And this week, we're chatting about uh, some gift ideas that you can slide under the tree as we bring in Woody and Cam. Welcome back to the Hockey Shop Source for Sports, where we're getting ready for the holiday season. It's December. <laughs> I told you guys how big his head was getting with all this camera time and everybody blowing him up with dimensions and sending kind words. Stop sending kind words. Don't, don't, don't stop sending. Don't stop sending. Head is so big that his Santa hat doesn't even fit properly anymore. That's how bad things have gotten here at the hockey shop. Fortunately, there are some good reasons because he's pretty good at his job. He's pretty good at helping you get the gear you need. It's just and expanded so full with wealth of knowledge that I'm ready to pass and share on to you wonderful people. But today I have some quick hit suggestions to make the goalie in your life have a Merry Christmas. I wrote that one down before. I thought it sounded pretty cool. Yeah, okay, let's just go here. Yeah, right. What do we got? We got 10 items, Ed? 10 items for under the tree? Ish. Yeah. We might have gone over a little bit, but that's okay. All right. Somebody can't count despite all those that knowledge that's stored in One, that three, giant five. melon. All right, let's start. Go with the sticks. So we got some sticks. Is this a legitimate Christmas item? How do you hide this under the tree? Imagine the amount of wrapping paper. Hey, I, I've been there where <laughs> giant box underneath the tree, kind of stick-shaped. Been never more excited in my life. That's okay. Okay. It's, you know, these are one of those fun gifts as long as you know, the, you know, the paddle size and, you know, what your goalie's looking for. Uh, that said, um, some definitely some cool options. We still got a bunch of CCM Pro returns, which can be varying paddle sizes and curves. So call us to double check and see what you're looking for there. Sometimes a little bit of a safer bet. Um, I've got quite a few of these true X5 catalyst sticks. That would be a... 5X for the guy that has the big head but can't count or read. Well, reading upside down, see X5. The 5X. Lots of different colors. Um, well worth checking out because you might be able to find something that really lines up with your team. Um, dark base, light base as well. More of a hot ticket item, um, for sure. A little bit leaner on stock, so you might have to double check with us to make sure we can uh, accommodate your request. That said, the Bauer Hyperlight stick, been extremely popular. Gorgeous. Extremely lightweight. Great looking. Kevin's holding uh, one of the white blue patterns, but we've also got our call out stick, which shows all the uh, tech and spec uh, for the stick, which he's also holding right now. I just like this. They did this with the stick and we're gonna show it like, okay, so we've, we've reviewed the stick before, but I love the call out on this, the round toe. They talk about the, the change technology and the improved balance on the blade tech, the carbon fiber blend that goes into the paddle, the use of tech stream. The pentagrip on the other side, 
the shorter shaft, obviously it's a shorter length. We've seen this compared to some other sticks, kind of like that carry price, easier for puck handling. So I just, you know, I'm a little disappointed the cam didn't have this when we did our review of it. So I wanted to show it off right now. Um, and you said, as you said, my fault. I, as you said, the Hyperlite running a little low on stock, but I look over there and you've got a bunch of the 3X, which is the next price point down. So whether you're looking for the top dog or a little bit of a more reasonably priced option, uh, Bauer, CCM Pro Returns, True 5X Catalyst, lots of options if you want to get a stick under the tree, but that's not all, folks. No. And Santa I mean, Cam has got more gift ideas. For, for those that were counting, we're already at five here, so we're definitely going over This 10, just but... counts as one. Well, you said 3X, too. This just counts Bauer as Supreme one. Bauer Supreme Neck Guard. <laughs> on sale. These are one of those quick hit items that you look, double check. Um, even the goalie itself looks, you know, Velcro's toast, everything's torn apart and shredded on them, or they've just seen a lot of abuse. Now is a great time to pick one up, pick them up on sale. Listen, WHL draft is coming up next week. If your kid is getting drafted into WHL, you might want to pick these up because it's the one they have to wear. Bauer only. There you go. Bauer Supreme Neck Guard. Matching the Supreme line. That was a hint, Hutch. Supreme knee pads on sale as well. Um, been always a hot ticket. I've got these in junior and senior. This is the junior pair right now for those that are paying very close attention. Cam size. Um, perfect. I, some guys like to wear the junior ones because they're a little bit tighter around the leg and they don't slip as much depending on the size of the goalie because you have those tall skinny guys that need something a little bit tighter around the leg. I, I don't, don't know anything about tall skinny guys, but that's why you're the expert. See, I'm mocking you for having the junior size and you're telling me that there's a very specific reason. That's the kind of expertise you come to the hockey shop and thehockeyshop.com for from Cam. Now keep going. Let's go. We got oh, 10 see. items. The Three Santa hat got a little tighter again. Ah. Yeah. Exactly. You're about to turn me into Scrooge McDuck. New item for the hockey shop. New. Paddle edge. Paddle edge. Colors. Colors. Yes. Save your fingers. That one actually matches that. That's not bad. That would look good with the flames colors. See what I did here? Color coordinated. Again, the head size grows. <laughs> so once again, pucks riding up the stick. Defense against those fingers, especially as you're putting that finger over position. Easy to apply. Nice quick hit. Good stocking stuffer. We've got more. Also, he has multiple colors of these too. I checked over there. They've got a whole new inventory in stock. Lots of different colors in the paddle wedge. That is a good gift idea. Two more quick stocking stuff for ideas. Tachymat command grip. Not having to take the top of your stick to create that knob or also having grip at the top of it for playing the puck. Great option, easy to slide on, nice value. Onto the stick, you got your grip, you're ready to go. You're not going through three rolls of tape to get there. Okay, and genius, because you keep telling people nice value, $11.99 folks, that's the actual price of it. Uh, it is a good value and a great stocking st stuff. Stuffing, stocking, stuffing. Stuff to stocking item. Shut up, Cam. Keep going. Holy smokes. Last but not least, the OG finger protection. Goalie block. He's got some Goalie. colors in that too. I do. I do. Um, improve the design a little bit. Um, easier to put on um, as per goalie block. That's what they tell you. Um, $10, $10 cheaper than the paddle wedge too. Also, $10 cheaper than the paddle wedge. They just steal all my thunder here. However... There's definitely more items in this shop. This is just a limited offering of some of the quick hits that uh, might be right for your goalie. There are some other things we can talk about, whether it be steel, whether it be replacement toe ties, um, whether it be undergarments, which you talked about the week before. These are all quick things that uh, might be right for the goalie um, in your life. So if you have any questions about that, you can give me a call here at 604-589-8299. 
or 1-800-567-7790. What are you looking for? He said the sticks counted as one. That's two, three, four, five, six. Hyperlite one, catalyst two, pro return three, three X, which you mentioned four. Now, how many we have? 10. It's a good thing I added the three X because you couldn't count to 10. No. You didn't have 10 items. I just knew that beforehand. Wasn't planned, folks. In case you couldn't tell by the production value, make sure you check them out. Check out thehockeyshop.com. And again, double check on shipping. Obviously, here in BC lately, we've had some flooding. Some of the major roads out of town and into town have been affected, and that includes affecting shipping times. So if you want to have it under the tree, order it real soon. But double check depending on where you are and, and what type of shipping you order to make sure it gets there in time to make the goalie happy in your life. And if you have any questions, Hit him up here at the hockey shop. Him and his staff will be sure to make sure, be sure to make sure that the item you get to put under the tree for the goalie in your life is the perfect one. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Just, just wanted to prove that I could do it. As, uh, as they went back and forth with the, the whole thing. No, don't. No, Hutch, did you, did you order it? Did you, did you listen to the guys? I did. I did. I made an order. I don't want to get and? ahead of myself. I don't want to jinx it. But uh, Woody mentioned that in the Canadian Hockey League or the Western Hockey League for us uh, out here on the West Coast, uh, yep. you have to have a Bauer neck guard. It is the only branded neck guard that you can wear. And so I'm um, hoping that uh, Matthew sees his name on the draft list in a couple of days. So as a little congratulations present, I've hidden away a new Bauer neck guard for him. Uh, good luck uh, on that front. And if you order a stick, maybe you can shoot like Ron Hexel. We've got a great, uh, cool uh, conversation coming up with John Mattis uh, from The Score. And we're just uh, talking about uh, Weird Goalies. They've got a podcast series headed your way. One episode is out and uh, they talk about uh, different goaltenders, mainly from the, the 90s. And uh, there's a, a cool story that's told by Dave Poulin uh, from Canada Cup Days where Gretzky and Poulin and uh, Gretzky's uh, young brother and Wayne uh, all played a game of horse and Ron Hextall was like the star of the game of horse because of his puck handling abilities. And, and maybe the stick that you get, the twig that you get around the, the Christmas tree is going to be uh, part of that. But uh, that's all coming up in just a little bit uh, as uh, Woody uh, chats with John. But up next, it's our feature interview brought to you by Sensorina, Sensorina VR. And we, I can't believe we haven't done this interview before, but Jamie Storr. Uh, a kid that uh, that was all world when when I was starting out in the broadcasting uh, career, like just did everything from world juniors to high draft pick to uh, NHL stud. Uh, like just a cool story. But the the background to his journey to become a goaltender is one that is unrivaled that people will not be able to truly absorb. I don't even want to give too much of it away because you've got to listen to it. But one of the best. Yeah. To me, the best story we've ever heard here on the podcast leads this one off in his origin story. So I think I would just sort of leave it at that, wouldn't we, Darren? Jamie Storr and his dad uh, and their bond, but Jamie's father, a self-made goaltender who got to basically the top of the mountain and then to be told, eh, can't because you're self-made. Anyway. Hey, here's the feature interview uh, brought to you by Sensorina. As uh, Hutch, uh, tell us what's going on with Sensorina VR. We've had Santa Hutch, we've had Santa Cam, and uh, I think uh, Santa Bob Tativa needs to be uh, referenced in this 
episode as well. Our good friends at Sense Arena sponsor all our feature interviews. And I know they're coming off a very successful Black Friday sale. There are all sorts of Sense Arena units uh, on their way uh, on delivery trucks and planes to very happy customers now, thanks to the recent Good Friday sale. And uh, that probably means a bunch of them under the tree. And I have a feeling if uh, you missed out on Black Friday, you'll probably be able to find a pretty good deal over at the Sense Arena site again with uh, some Christmas sales coming up now. So I would suggest if uh, you want to get the best off-ice training experience you can for your son or daughter, mom or dad, uh, who love goaltending, to check out Sense Arena. Go to sensearena.com slash store. Put in the code IGM50 and you'll get a little bit of extra money off because you're an in-goal listener. And you can get access to virtual reality goaltending training, something unlike anything you've ever seen. It really blows away people when they see it for the first time. You get a chance to get in there and face right up to professional shots if you want, learn to read releases. Now you can learn to understand different power play scenarios. And just, I mean, it's incredible what Sense Arena does. It's incredible what they have coming. We had a special little episode on the, on the podcast that let you hear from Brian DeCord to find out what some of those new things coming are. It's an incredible tool, still available for Christmas at a great price over at sensorina.com slash store. And again, put in that code IGM50 and you get a little bit extra off for listening to InGoal. As you do that, enjoy Jamie Store on InGoal Radio, the podcast, the feature interview brought to you by Sensorina, a tale about goaltending like you have never come across before. Here's Hutch. Our guest today played more than 200 games in the National Hockey League, mostly with the Los Angeles Kings. He's a member of a very exclusive club with five gold medals in international play before he played a single game in the NHL. Can you name anybody else in that club? Like many, he was influenced to play the position by his father, but did you know that he had a rather famous billet dad as well? Jamie Storr, welcome to the In Goal Radio podcast. Thank you for spending some time with us this morning. No worries. Thanks for having me. Okay, let's go back to the beginning. Uh, when exactly did you become a goalie, and why did you want to strap on the pads? Uh, you know what? It was uh, it was actually one of those interesting stories where um, you know you we grow up and there's some unique items in the basement. Um, we had a javelin. Um, you know, you, you, you had all these different things. One of them was a puck machine. There was a puck machine sitting in the basement and, uh, it had dust on it and I, we didn't know what it was. And, uh, you know, my dad kind of, when we got older, walked us through, um, you know, what the purpose was and how he kind of got acquainted with it. So, you know, the story of his was that, uh, you know, he was, um, you know, grew up, they didn't have very much money growing up. So he only had one, one pair of skates. And when he was 14, they fit, he played one year of hockey. And then uh, that was it. When they outgrew the skates, couldn't play hockey anymore. And he went off and started his life and uh, got married to my mother and started working and realized that, you know what, I'm not having very much fun doing what I'm doing. I see all these other people that are having fun at what they do. And, you know, I'd like to try that as well. So he looked at all different sports, right? He looked at uh, trap shooting and the top trap shooter in the world made 50 grand. He's like, well, that's not going to be enough to support the family. And I uh, started looking all over. And then one thing he rolled into was hockey. And uh, saw that NHL players, you know, playing professionally uh, could be something. This is at 29, 30 years old. Oh my God. And he said, well, not good enough 
skater. So, um, you know, I'm not going to be able to actually play out, but it looks like goalies don't have to skate very much. So I'll try that. So, you know, he, uh, he started and he went to eight goalie schools, quit his job, um, you know, bought a puck machine with, from Orlando Bonnie and actually helped Orlando in, uh, in the making of it because they designed the first puck machine was, uh, when you, you'd shoot it, um, it would lose speed through the wheels. So the first shot would come at 80 mile an hour. The second one was at 60. And it would, if you shot repetitively, you'd lose speed on it. So they put two bigger motors in it, they put two bigger wheels. So it maintained the same speed. So he helped Orlando Bonnie with that. The next thing he needed was equipment. So um, he talked to John Brown and John was just starting off making Brown goalie equipment. And he said, uh, Jimmy, listen, I don't have an, um, you know, enough money to insulate my garage. If you insulate my garage, I'll make you the set of goalie equipment. Okay. So my dad insulated Johnny Brown's garage. And Johnny made my dad the first set of goalie gear. And um, away he went. And, you know, he made it, you know, all the way through this training for, for I don't know, it was a year or two. And ended up, uh, the highest he got was he, he got to um, play senior A. And, and basically be, you know, it was an invitation to the Maple Leafs rookie camp through a senior A team. And uh, they needed a goalie. So they said, you know, you can come to the, the, the rookie camp and be a goalie at the rookie camp. And Johnny Bauer was a goalie coach at the time and uh, for the Leafs. Wow. <clears throat> so they, they, uh, my dad attended this tryout. Um, he said, you know, I had a great tryout, felt really good, uh, come out of it. And Johnny Bauer pulled me aside and said, uh, where'd you play your minor hockey? He said, I didn't. He said, well, <laughs> Where, where'd you play, um, you know, junior hockey or where, where have you been playing? He said, I've been playing at double ranks in a men's league. And uh, he said, listen, uh, I think this is the end of the line for you. Um, he said, it doesn't matter how good you do. Um, you know, if, if I put you in net, all of a sudden you start for the Toronto Maple Leafs and Harold Ballard asks where I got you. And I say, I got you from double ranks. Um, <laughs> he said, both of us will be out of a job. So he said, realistically, you give me an 18 year old with your heart and your determination, we'll take him in a heartbeat. So, you know, my path was kind of guided. Um, I had an opportunity where, you know, that's how it started. And when I went in the basement, there's a puck machine there. And, you know, uh, my dad let me choose my own fate. So, you know, I played AAA as a player, um, 9, 10, you know, 7. There was two of us that actually made the NHL off that 7-year-old selects team. And, um, you know, we were both, both, we, we were both really good players at that time. Um, you know, and I had, had a lot of success playing out and really enjoyed it. And then uh, at 10, you know, I decided I wanted to try being a goalie. And uh, my dad knew more about goaltending than playing out. So it kind of meshed hand in hand. And um, before you know it, you know, I, I kind of got my start that way. And, you know, it, it was a, it was a unique, unique opportunity, but it was kind of a bond that I had with my dad. Um, you know, and he was, uh, it was funny, even when I was playing in Owensale in the OHL, uh, the, the GM of the team told the head coach, he said, the best goalie coach you'll ever have is his father. So they hired my dad as a goalie coach for the, for the own sound players. And he coached Kevin Weeks and myself, um, you know, and, and I got a great, great relationship. Like it was, uh, you know, something that, you know, you'll remember that now he's passed on. Um, it was, it was a lot of fun. Wouldn't, wouldn't trade it in for the world. Wow. What a great story. Your, uh, your father was way ahead of his time and, uh, you know, probably if he were to do that today, I think he'd probably have a YouTube channel and we'd be able to follow along with that adventure as he rose up through to that tryout with the Leafs. But uh, thanks for sharing that with us, Jamie. That was great. What did you take away from working with your father all those years? And what did you carry from of those lessons throughout your pro career? Well, I think, you know what, he was probably my best mentor. Um, he was ahead of his time. Um, you know, he studied all, 
he studied everything. Uh, he was a guy that, um, you know, was uh, exceptional at, at whatever he put his mind to, could be very successful, but also he also had the one trait that was maybe his downfall that was also would have been his success, which is he's a gambler. So he's willing to risk it all every time. Mm. Um, and if he believed in it, he went for it. He had no problem with it. And he had no problem being broke. He had no problem. Uh, you know, we, I remember we went to a hockey tournament at 12, had no money. We had to stay in the van. Um, you know, all the other kids got to stay in a hotel. My dad put a mattress in the back of the van. We slept in the parking lot. Um, we had no problem from where we came from and he had no problem. And, and, uh, you know, just, just gambling on whatever it was. But, um, you know, I think the, the things that he had for me was he, he taught me how to be a professional when I was, you know, 11, 12, 13, you know, it was, uh, the way to act, the way to speak, um, you know, the way you treat others, uh, setting goals for yourself, you know, uh, reaching for the stars. One thing he told me is he said, you walk, wake up every day and, uh, you, you know, you're going to be a national hockey league goalie. You're going to be the best goalie in the world, but uh, you don't tell anyone because they'll think you're crazy. Right. But you work towards it. And uh, you know, no one has to know what you're doing, but at the end of the day, that, that, that's the drive that you have, you know? And, and uh, it was just, it was, it was a very unique relationship. And I think at the end of the day, you know, um, a lot of times it was hard, you know, because there was, uh, you know, living up to expectations or just, you know, the dream, having the dream myself. But um, one, one thing it did teach me was uh, it was a relentless pursuit of trying to reach something that you felt was attainable. And I think, um, you know, we, we, we did a pretty good job with it. You know, we've been able to, you know, play from uh, when I was 10 years old, I retired on my own at 33 by my own decision. Um, and, uh, you know, at the end of the day, I got to play in some, you know, great facilities, got to play for my country and, um, you know, got a ch chance just to, you know, continue playing through, through my adult years and, and never really have to grow up. So, um, you know, it was, it was, a, it was a great, great opportunity and I owe everything to, you know, just that drive and, and the opportunity that my dad gave me. Well, Jamie, I don't think you could have had a better example than your father and, uh, what he went through taking on goaltending later in life and, and all the dedication and hard work it took for him to, uh, become the athlete that he did. You also did something sort of improbable in, in becoming a goaltender at age 10 and then into junior hockey by age 14. Uh, that's a remarkable progression, uh, one we don't really see today. I'm curious, what was it like walking into a dressing room of 19 and 20-year-olds so young? And, and then what did you take away from that experience playing junior hockey that uh, helped you later on in your career? Yeah, I think um, the hard part was I had a late birthday, right? So I was at the end of December. So I was always, uh, even if everyone else was 15 that year, I was still 14 until the right. end of the year. But um, what happened was I was just, I, I think I matured um, a little bit earlier physically. So I think I was closer to six foot when I was 14. And, um, you know, I don't think I weighed very much, but, you know, just the fact that you're a goalie, you don't have to, there's not contact, it's more just endurance. And uh, it was my dad's mentality, right? So, you know, at the end of the day, um, I believed I could do it. And, uh, you know, constantly out there to prove everyone wrong, you know, and, and it was something that you kind of grew up with. And I think, um, you know, that that's what separated me, I think, from, from anyone else growing up was, um, you know, I physically went into everything believing that I was, I was going to do it. I, I, there wasn't doubt in my mind I was going to fail. Um, you know, at 14, I expected to make the Brampton Capitals. 
where they went in as a tryout. It was like, okay, your your younger son can come, but we want your older son to play. So my brother was playing in Brockville at the time. Okay. And uh, Frank Carnavale was a coach, and he said, you know what, I want your older son to come play, and, and your younger son can come to tryouts. Um, you know, and it'll be a good experience for him. And my brother said, you know, I'm staying in Brockville. Uh, you know, Jamie can figure his, his stuff out on his own. He'll, he'll be fine. And, uh, you know, I ended up, the Frank Carnavale was nice enough, said he could stay at tryouts, but, you know, we're going to send him back to, I think it was minor midget at the time because I would have been going into my, it was my 15-year-old year. And um, I said, okay. And, you know, I went through tryouts and then all of a sudden they gave me an exhibition game, said first time he messes up, we're going to pull him. They had a 20-year-old goalie there from North Dakota. And, uh, you know, I, I won, I won and I consistently won. And then all of a sudden I was a starter of the Brampton Capitals at 14. And the funny thing is we billeted the 20-year-old goalie from North Dakota. So, you know, he used to drive me to practice all the time, hang out with me, had a great relationship with him, great guy. But in my mind, um, you know, I wanted to be the number one. There wasn't like, I'm going to wait a year, wait a two years. And, you know, so the, the I think that the two takeaways from that is being capable of being a number one um, was one of the main things and being able to do it. You know, we went and actually, ironically, I lost, I think, the conference finals to the Oakville Blades in six games. Um but at the end of the day, from from my standpoint, uh, I had no idea, you know, the levels we're ascending or what we're doing. I just felt like that was a high level of hockey and I wanted to be there. My brother was playing at that level. My dad coached at that level for the Georgetown Raiders at the time or the, the Geminis prior to that. And um, I felt like this is something that I want to be a part of as well. And, uh, you know, after that, um, there was a, you could have an underage draft here. So in the OHL, I was ranked uh, the first goalie in the OHL. So all of a sudden, you know, if I went in the first three rounds the next year, I could be in the OHL at 15. And it just carried on. And one thing led to another. And, you know, before you know it, your NHL draft's coming up. And, you know, same thing. I got to play for the under-17 team. We won gold. I was the starting goalie. Um, I expected it. I, I, I didn't think anything was any different. It wasn't like, oh, this is a great feat. It's like, this is where I should be. This is my job. This is what I'm doing. Under-18, same thing. And then World Juniors, I was mad when I didn't wake the World Juniors as a 17-year-old or a 16-year-old. Um, I made it as a 17 year old my draft year. And, um, you know, I, I, we won gold. I got a chance to play in the gold medal game and, and, you know, go through that experience. And it was the same thing. Um, I got an opportunity. I got invited to play in the Olympics in um, Lillehammer. Mm-hmm. Uh, I turned it down, would have been the third goalie um, because it was my draft year. And my GM of Owen Sound actually asked me to stay. He said, we're going to the playoffs. We need you. You're going to be the third goalie. There's going to be a lot of Olympics. You're going to get a chance to play in the future. And I stayed. I played uh, for Owen Sound. And right after our playoffs were over, um, my agent called me and said, they want you to go to the World Championships. And I got a chance to play with Luke Robitaille and Steve Thomas, Joe Sackick, Rob Blake. Uh, Bill Ranford was the number one. Stefan Fassett was a backup, and I was a third. Mm-hmm. Um, it was the first time Canada won gold in, in 30 years of the World Championships. I got a chance to be part of that and then walk into my draft. So, you know, everything just kind of fell into place. But I think at the end of the day, um, you know, it, it, it didn't seem like it was it was a, a dream that I was trying to obtain. It just seemed like this is my path. This is what I've been working at becoming. And I didn't expect that anything else would would, would uh, come of it. I, this is a path I expected and how I expected it to go. So It's incredible. Now, speaking of that uh, international competition, you're in pretty elite company as a five-time gold medal winner before playing in the NHL. Do you know who the other member of that club is? Oh, I would say, you know what? Well, Jason Botterill, he he won three gold medals, I know, with with the World Juniors. 
but there was a couple of kids that I played with that would have been on that team. One was Todd Harvey. Um, Not necessarily from your team. No. Just guys who've done five. Paul Korea. Yeah, there you go. Well done. There you go. And and I mean, that's me uh, some doing some in-depth Wikipedia research, but uh, I expect our Ingle listeners will probably uh, be able to tell us if there's any more, but incredible company to be in. From all that international experience, what did you learn about being able to play in a big game, being able to just play your game and stay relaxed? Did you have any strategies? Did you learn anything over the course of those five opportunities? Well, I'll tell you, I think um, the funny thing is uh, the first year we got a chance with Team Ontario. Um, you know, we played uh, against Team Quebec. That Alexander Degg, Jocelyn Thibault was a goalie for Quebec. Uh, we, I think every player on our team, um, other than maybe a few, made the NHL from the under-17 team. It was a stacked team in Ontario. And, um, you know, when we played, we, didn't, we weren't expected to, uh, to win. So, you know, expectations weren't there. So, you know, you're trying to prove people wrong. You feel like you're, you're in a position where you're trying to prove that you are the best, that this year is, is a great birth year. Um, same thing. We went to the World Juniors. It was a no-name team. Joe Canelli was a head coach. Um, they were like, oh, this team will finish in, you know, fifth or sixth. There's, there's no way they're going to make it. Not one of the kids is drafted at this time. It was all of our draft years, but no one was drafted prior. And, um, you know, we went in there and we started off 5-0. and um, we tied the, we actually, we went two and oh, we tied the third game. I played the first two, the first three games tied against right. Russia. Um, I let two goals at the end of the game. We're up three, one, let two goals. And, uh, they ended up, um, starting Manny Fernandez the next game. So Manny played the next, uh, three games, uh, played well, but, uh, they felt going into the gold medal. They said, you know what, uh, we're going to talk to both of you. Both of you have played three games. We're going to talk to you about who will play in the gold medal game. Um, they came up to me the night before and said, you know what, uh, we feel more confident that right now at this time you're going to play. So it's your, your, um, you're going to go with it. And, uh, I talked to Manny that night. I remember, you know, Manny said to me, he said, uh, you know, like, uh, I'm, I'm glad this is you going in because at the end of the day, you know, um, this is a, there's a lot of pressure that goes on behind this. You know, uh, if you win, you're going to have all the success in Canada behind you. If you lose is you're going to be responsible for it. And I remember thinking to myself, um, you know, I'd, I'd rather have that opportunity than just, just not have the opportunity to play. So even if I have the opportunity, I'm, I fail and, and things don't go the way I want. And, uh, you know, we, we don't have the success we want. I'm still, uh, I'll, I'll regret not taking that opportunity. So that was the first moment where um, fear, the fear of failure did not outweigh the opportunity of success. And from then on, it didn't matter. Um, and this is one of the things you tell a lot of players, not even just goalies, players, coaches, doesn't matter. There's very rarely I felt good. Very rarely did I feel my body felt 100% and I felt like I was ready for the game I was going to play. More than not, it was, can I play or can I not play? And if I could play, if my legs moved, if my uh, I could think, um, I felt like I had the opportunity, I, I was taking it. So, you know, I, I didn't worry anymore about uh, only going into situations that you're going to succeed in. I would take any situation with the opportunity to succeed. And I think that was a great starting point. We ended up winning the gold. It was a great story. Um, This team went from no one drafted to everyone got drafted in the first round. The next year, we were considered one of the strongest teams of the World Juniors. We went 7-0. It was the first time a World Junior team has won all seven games. Mm -hmm. And uh, other than the McDavid team, um, we or the Bergeron team, we, we were considered one of the top teams to ever represent Canada at the World Juniors. And I think, you know, from my standpoint, 
um, you know, it was a great opportunity just to just to have a little bit of that learning experience. And then when you play for Team Canada, the neat thing is that you always got star-studded teams. You know, your fourth line, you know, your center has 50 goals, but he blocks shots, kills right. penalties. Um, and at the end of the day, everyone um, was humble. And when we went to those events, I was actually fortunate enough that, uh, you know, of all my uh, international competition, we didn't lose a game. You know, I played five years and then even, uh, you know, every game I played in, we, we, we never lost. So it was, it was just a unique company, man. You know, when you get to that level and playing with that kind of player, it's, um, you know, you, you do have a chance to win every game. Yeah. Incredible. So towards the end of that run, you played at the senior world championships while still in junior. Uh, did, did your experience as a 14 year old starting to play junior hockey sort of prepare you to walk into the senior world championship dressing room there with guys like Joe Sackick, Paul Correa? That must've been overwhelming to see all your idols around you. Well, Paulie and myself were the only two that weren't in the NHL at the time. Paulie was just a, right. Sorry. Yeah. We, we came into the NHL the same year. Um, but we had Brendan Shanahan, you know, we had Joe Sackick, uh, Rob Blake, Luke Robitaille, like good, great name. It was, uh, but at the, at the same time, um, this is a path that we wanted to be on, right? So the reality is we expected it. You know, when I went and practices, it's funny, I talked to Billy Ranford now, he's a goalie coach for the Kings, and he, he, he was a, you know, he wasn't a nice guy, you know, to be playing with. Uh, he didn't talk to me very much. He wouldn't give me an opportunity to go on the net. He, he would, uh, you know, stare me down and just make me go to the other end. Step off the set would be, come on in this end, kid. And I told him, I said, when I, after I retired, I said, I get it. You know, at the end of the day, you're fighting for your life every yeah. time you're in that. And you're never going to give that opportunity up. If I, if I earn it, if I'm better than you, I'll take it from you and you'll respect that. But um, there, there's, there's no being nice. Because the reality is you're fighting for your life. Mm-hmm. And he's like, you're, you're dead on. He said, that was exactly it. So, but I had the opportunity to see these guys at, in their prime. Um, and they, they were unbelievable. And when you watch it, um, it's just the expectation that I can beat this guy. And I'm going to beat this guy. And that became the mentality. And then, uh, you know, when you get drafted, I remember you step in your first game. It was weird. You look up and, you know, my center is Gretzky. My right winger is Yari Curry. You know, right D's Rob Blake. And you're like, this is this is like what I watch on TV. But right away, as soon as the puck drops, you're just trying to make the next save. It doesn't matter if you're facing Mike Madano, Merrill Lemieux, um, any of these guys. They were just someone that was trying to score, and I was trying to stop them. And it was a great, uh, great opportunity, and, and what a great ride. And I enjoyed, you know, every minute of it until the day I retired. At that first World Championship experience, I mean, it's funny as you say, Bill became the goalie coach in LA, where where you played and Stefan, not, not at the same time, Stefan Fisay became your partner in LA kind of interesting there as well. Parallels. But, um, uh, other than that moment with Bill being a, a bit grumpy and not wanting to give the net up, did you, uh, did you learn anything from either of them? Were they, did they take you under the wing at all? And Hey kid, here's what we're doing at the pro level or. No, I, I think uh, it was a short time that we were there. So it was more of the practices and just the opportunity to try and get involved. And then the experience of just being in a different country and, you know, they, they were getting ready for games every night. We didn't practice as much as, as uh, you know, we normally would in a normal year, but it was just a professional experience. Um, a lot of the guys, you know, Brandon Shanahan, Steve Thomas, uh, Jason Arna, these are guys that I hung out with or got a chance to hang out with during the course of my time there. Blakey, um, you know, Daryl Sador. So all these guys that, you know, I, I looked up to, they are part of, there, there was different moments where a guy would take you and, and, you know, either take you for dinner or, 
or, uh, you know, just, just kind of treat you as one of the guys. And that was a great experience. I mean, even the GM of, uh, you know, it's funny, there's a lot of GMs on that team. Mark Bergerman was one of the D on that team too. One of the funniest mm-hmm. men. I had a chance to, you know, be in a dressing room with and play with, but, um, you know, it's a great experience and, and all these guys at different times teach you something. And sometimes it's not direct. Like with Billy, we didn't have as many talks because Billy was preparing for every game he played. Sure. He was a number one boy that year. Um, Stefan Fassett was more of like a big brother, you know, really looked after me. was very kind, um, you know, would help me out with little things here and there. And then the other guys, you know, just different moments where, you know, they realize uh, they got a kid stepping into their world and there might be little bits and pieces they can help you with either on the ice, off the ice. And uh, then your overall experience is being around professionals, you know, and then realizing, you know, where you're going to have to grow up and, and areas that you're, you know, going to excel in. And at the end of the day, uh, it was a great, very, like a, a really good experience. Yeah. So then you're taken seventh overall by LA first goalie taken in the, in the national hockey league entry draft. Um, I mean, I think I know the answer having gotten to know you here already a little bit, but with everything you've been through in junior and international play, did you feel ready? Did you think you were going to step right into the NHL and be successful? Yeah. I mean, if, if, if I didn't play my first year, I felt like I failed. Yeah. You know, I did the same thing when I went to Owen Sound. I was 15. Uh, I didn't know any better. And uh, I remember being at the training camp and talking to the first overall or the second overall pick in the first round. And I said, I'm scared I'm going to get sent home. As they sent home, your second round pick, like everyone makes a team. The first two rounds make the team for sure. And I'm like, are you sure? I said, I don't want to get sent home, you know, because mm-hmm. uh, everyone thinks I'm, I'm here. Even if I stay here, you know, I just don't want to go home and, and feel like I failed. Um, you know, and that was always my mentality is, uh, you know, I, I didn't, I wasn't patient. Um, there is no tomorrow. I didn't know how long I'm going to live. I didn't know how long I'm going to get an opportunity. And I just wanted it now. And I want to prove it now. You know, this is another Jim Storr moment, but my dad told me going into the meetings with the NHL GMs, he said, you just tell them, you be honest with them. You tell them, I'm going to win you a Stanley Cup, and if I don't, you can get rid of me. And you tell them, I don't want any money. I'll play for free, but I want to play now. And I I said that in the meeting. I said it to, I think it was Phil Esposito was a GM of Tampa. And I said, I don't want any money. I'm not concerned about money. I want to play. I'm going to help you win a Stanley Cup. Just give me the opportunity. I won't let you down. And uh, he said, I was going to pick a mate overall if he was available because this kid walked in and, and uh, you know, just looked me straight in the eye and was sincere about it. And then I was serious. You know, at the end of the day, for me, I truly believe that, um, you know, I could help a team win a Stanley Cup. And the scary thing is, you know, I remember after I retired, I asked one of the coaches when I was playing, I said, how do you know when you're going to retire? And he said, Jamie, I'm 50 and I still feel like I can play in the NHL. So you'll never know when you're, mm. you're, you're you know. So, you know, I think it's a... It's uh, one of those things that, you know, stepping in, there was no age gap where it's like, okay, you know, here's a plan, two years, you know, mm-hmm. in the minors and then jump up in the NHL. It was like, no, I'm going to start right away and I'm going to have success and I'm going to start winning games. And I want to, you know, I figured out how many games you have to win at the NHL level to, you know, be, be at a position where you're, you're considered one of the top. And, you know, at that time we had amazing goalies in the NHL still. We had Mike Richter, uh, you know, Patrick Waugh, Dominic Hasek. Um, you know, there's great goalies in every team. So it was, it was a, a great feat, right? You, you, you were in for a battle every night and, um, you know, every opportunity I got, you know, every game you get to play at the national hockey league level, there's no favors. No one does you a favor and says, you know, what, we'll gift you this game. So yeah. you have to enjoy, you know, I backed up in over 400, which is a lot and yeah. then played over 200, which was with a lot of games. And, um, you know, 
Um, I would have liked to play in every game I ever dressed in, but at the end of the day, um, you know, you feel like when you get your opportunity, you, you, you go out there and try and give your team a chance to win. I love the story about walking into the draft meetings with such confidence. And I've heard a similar story about Mike Palmatier meeting the Leafs GM and sort of announcing that your goaltending problems are solved while he's still playing junior hockey. Um, but I'm curious, how does that balance with sort of the culture of hockey where everybody beats you down and expects you to be so humble all the time? Um, how do you rationalize those two things? Because I think people are impressed by the confidence you showed there. How's that fit with hockey? Well, I think, you know, at the end of the day, it is twofold. You can walk into a, a meeting and tell them you're the best thing ever and, and then have no, nothing behind it where, you know, it's just, it's false confidence. Or, you know, you, 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 you can, it's, you have to put the work in. It's the one thing we work even with my own kids on everything they do. It's just, you know what, you, you have to be willing to outwork everyone. You have to be willing to put more more time and you have to be more determined. And if you are and you start having success, you have to have the belief in yourself that you can be the best player. You know, it's the same thing I tell my 12-year-old. I was telling my 19-year-old and my daughter, the 18, that's in her first year at, uh, at college. You know, it's, it's you have to go in knowing the person that you're going to become. You, you, you don't have to tell everyone about it, but you have to put the work in behind it. And then I think, you know, what it comes into now is, is not being scared of failure. Most kids, when they walk into it, they're like, oh, you know, I want to win this game. It's a big game. I want to win the championship or I want to win whatever it is, but I don't want to be the one responsible for the loss. Well, you have to take that responsibility and be like, hey, if we, I go out there and I fail, I'm okay with it. I'm okay with taking that responsibility because mm-hmm. on the other side of it, um, if we win, you know, it's going to be my responsibility as well. So then you start learning how to manage that expectation of yourself essentially it's just this it's a fear of failure and i think that um you know for for any athlete you know once you get over that that's a mental part that allows you to go out there and see what you're capable of doing and um you know i think for you know athletes nowadays a hard part is parents are a lot more involved than they were when i played um i felt like it was more the athlete and the team or the coach communication um standing up for yourself also you know being told stuff that you didn't want to hear um you know, adversity. But nowadays, uh, you know, you even see at the NHL level, you know, advisors, scouts, parents, everyone's involved. There's too many cooks in the pot. And what you find is um, it might be the expectations of the the group, but not just the players singular. And I think that, mm-hmm. uh, you know, for these people to have success, they have to realize if you want to be a, a hockey player, then you sign up. And if you're 12th or 15th on the team, you try and work your way up, you know, and you work your way up by, you know, having the same goals and same desire and same drive that we had, but at the same token, also, you know, being respectful that if there's players better than you, why are they better than me? What are they doing that's better than me? What do I need to do, you know, to be better than them? And then working towards it. And I think, um, you know, that that's something that I find, uh, you know, it, it, it comes with time. But, you know, for today's culture, it's a little bit different to navigate through than it was when I grew up. In LA, you had a pretty famous billet dad. Billet billeting in junior hockey is a longstanding tradition. You billeted kids in your home. I billet some in my home. But your billet dad was pretty famous. What's it like living with Wayne Gretzky? Uh, you know what? You realize nicest gentleman. Like nicest gentleman. Um, you know, great family. Um, and just a regular human um, with exceptional responsibilities. So, you know, it was just amazing opportunity. Gracious host. And um, we enjoyed every moment of it. It just it, it led you more to believe that this guy's not only the best hockey player to ever ever live, he's also one of the nicest humans to ever live. And 
and uh, so humble. And, yeah. and, you know, part of the opportunity of being around him was, you know, to achieve, to, to want to achieve greatness. Mm-hmm. I wanted to have what he had. I wanted people to respect me the way that people respected him and to have the things that he had and, and to have the lifestyle he had. So, so many things that go on. And, uh, you know, you look at who he was, he was way ahead of his time. Uh, he's, he's, he's uh, you know, probably, he, he will be the most famous player to ever play the game. Um, you know, his legacy will live on far outside of uh, his years, but um, like what, what a, what a great human being. So, you know, just an amazing opportunity. You know, we went from, you would be eating lunch somewhere and all of a sudden and the famous actor would, would come by and stop and hang out and talk to Wayne and then talk to you and, you know, go through that or Monday night, he, he said, okay, boys, we're going to go down and watch football. And we got in a limo and we drove down and we we're in Malibu. And we're at the producer of Monday Night Football's house, and all of a sudden, actors and actresses are sitting on the couch beside us, and we're looking oh, around wow. at eighteen years old, saying, "You know, this is crazy." Um, to right after practice, saying, "Hey, we got to go on the Tonight Show tonight. I got to do the Tonight Show." And I talked to Jay Leno, and he said, "You guys can come on stage after." So um, we're sitting in the green room, and all of a sudden, Samuel Jackson walks in. Hi, Wayne. Nice to meet you. You know, and they have a conversation. He's like, "Yeah, these are my two boys. Uh, they're living at my house. Uh, both play with me, uh, Jamie and Matt." And uh, just a it was one of those where you know you, you couldn't tell the story you, people wouldn't believe you but um you know just an <laughs> amazing person i feel like i'm letting down the kids who built it with me i can't give them half that experience D- did you ever get to sit around the kitchen table and talk hockey at all or did was he able to talk to you about what he sees on the ice when he's playing against you in practice or well you know i you have little moments with wayne it was uh, you know the ride home after a game um, you know, sometimes I remember he'd come home and, uh, he, he wasn't feeling well. And me and Matt Johnson, we went, stopped it in note and, uh, we got a note, brought it home and, and he came down and sat down and did you guys have any fries? And, you know, we had fries and sat down and had, had, uh, a late night snack with us and, yeah. you know, just shot the breeze about whatever's going on. Uh, little tips he, he'd give you every once in a while would, you know, more be about the things that you'd see inside the game, you know, just little things that might help you. Um, any of those you can remember you can share you know what he said uh, one of the greatest goalies ever played with was Grant Fuhrer and he said I doesn't know I don't know a lot about goaltending but he wore the biggest equipment possible took up took up more net than um, he was capable of taking up because of his size mm-hmm. so I don't know much about it but I tell you you know wear the biggest equipment possible and the funny thing is when you get older you you know I did I wore the highest level of pads you could wear 38 inch when I first really? started I was wearing 34 inch that's 62 you take up the biggest amount of net possible and you have more success. Yeah. You ever throw you the keys to the car? Yep. Yeah, no, we, we had it. We were driving a, a car that was more expensive than our, both of our contracts. <laughs> what was it? Uh, well, he had, he had two Ferraris. We never drove those, but he had a Mercedes 600 at the time. Nice. Uh, door and uh yeah we it was if we we crashed it we would have been out of out of uh money for a year but uh he was just one of those guys that you know he would just like give you the shirt off his back and you know, his wife was the same way and the kids were young at that time they were just mm-hmm. they were really young so um it, it just basically took a little bit of time that way what did you uh what did you learn as a pro and who helped you because goalie coaches then were pretty few and far between donnie edwards was a or Cap Raider was actually first goalie coach we had with LA, and then Donnie Edwards was the second. Mm-hmm. So uh, Cap Raider, you know, old school assistant coach, uh, would just kind of work on you know take you out fifteen minutes before and work on some little things with you here and there. Um, but then I got to work with Donnie Edwards a lot. He really helped kind of mold 
just determination, the work ethic, um, you know, setting goals and, and just like, like uh, even you, you got a, um, this Pete Seagal was a motivational speaker. So okay. he, he got Pete Seagal to come and work with me. Um, you know, Donnie was the type of guy who reminded me a lot of my father. We're uh, just driven towards trying to make you the best, wanted you to be the best, want to see you succeed. You know, he would remind me of Mick from Rocky. He'd be running upside my car up the hallway at uh, Staples Center. You know, you're going to be the best kid. You know, keep it going. <laughs> and just he had that mentality. And what a great human being. Um, and I had the chance to work with Andy Nowicki. He was a great hockey mind. Um, had a great um, mind for the game. Um, you know, very deceiving the way he looks. He looks like you know, he never played. But at the end of the day, um, you know, he was the first one to start working with me on uh, like having me teach myself. So, you know, we'd watch a game film and um, say, how do you think you did? And I said, I didn't think I did very well. And then we watch it. What, what do you think on the first goal? Well, it didn't look too bad. Good angle. I really, you know, not much I could have done. Like it was mm -hmm. a good goal. Second one. Yeah, I thought the same thing. And then all of a sudden you're like, hey, I didn't think I played that bad. He goes, either did I. <laughs> so, you know, you go out there and he'd give you some things to work on. Say, hey, you want to work on this drill? And I said, Don, uh, Andy, you ever been in the net for that? He's like, no, not really. I'm like, that's a terrible drill because I'm going to get hit in the head with a one-timer. Like, I'd rather have him put a guy on his onside coming down so we have the same angle change, but it's an onside one-timer opposed to an offside where the guy's going to kill me with it. He's like, no, no, sounds good. We'll do it. And he would adjust for you. So nice. you, you could be your own goalie coach. You start to learn how to teach yourself. And he went to bat for you. And he some days I'd be with Felix Potvin and Andy would almost be in tears on the bench saying, they're being so mean mean to you know to me about you and and felix your games right now and we felix and i would grab andy and say don't worry Andy, it's going to be okay <laughs> <laughs> they'll, they'll love us again when we start winning it's hard being a goalie coach just, just a great human being great great human being and a, another great great uh mentor you know and then uh yeah i mean uh, at the end i got to bring in a couple friends of mine that were goalie coaches out of toronto dave and marco um, and I got to, like, when I got older, they said, you can bring in your own goalie coach. So I brought those, those two in and nice. had a great opportunity, you know, same thing, working with some fresh minds, you know, young kids that were hungry and learning and, and, um, you know, understood a lot of the technical side of the game that we didn't work as much on and really helped kind of develop that mentality as well. So, you know, mm -hmm. a lot of great people along the way. As, as you look back now with, with the wisdom of a little bit of age uh, and knowing how the game's developed today, what would you tell young Jamie Storr after the draft to help prepare him for what's to come? Uh, you know, nothing. I mean, in all honesty, it's uh, you got to experience it. It's like Jimmy Connor said, you know, the one thing with experience is by the time you get it, you're too old to do anything with it. Um, yeah. You know, it doesn't matter. You, you, you got to live it. And at the end of the day, you know, I think the, we, we had all the tools um you know one thing i would would tell anyone would just be enjoy it enjoy every day you know it's it's so special it's so unique and it doesn't matter the rest of your life's going to be amazing too you know you're gonna have amazing things that are going to come up uh you know watching my kids grow up is as great as getting drafted um uh, being at my son's hockey game or my daughter's gymnastics or or watching him graduate high school or whatever it is um is as amazing you know spending 24 years with my wife has been amazing. So, you know, you, there's different things that you kind of go through, but you, you enjoy every experience, um, you know, and you, essentially you're trying to win every game. So you're trying to prepare, what do I need to do to help the team win the next game? And, you know, when you go through it, um, you can see that it's a, it, it was a great chapter 
um, you know, of, of your youth is a great chapter of your, your professional life. If you're capable of being at that level and, you know, it was really enjoyable. Well said, uh, well said and well grounded, um, taken way too much of your time already, but you know, I disappoint my partner, Kevin Woodley here. If I didn't say one last question, um, you transitioned into coaching in, uh, in Southern California and, and we're seeing a, a sort of a continuing rise in U.S. goaltending. What, what do you see as the strength of U.S. goaltending development today? I think it's like anywhere else. It's just, you know, the athleticism. You know, you, in the old days, you pick the kid that couldn't skate, put him in net. So if you put the most unathletic kid in net, you're not going to have a tremendous, you know, upside and, and um, you know, your, your development of goalies that you're, you're, you're going through. So with my young kids team, what we did, practices i'll be honest with you are not going to be built towards goalies when they're young it's all skating it's all shooting handling pucks it's individual skill sets so we had every player play out and then i bought a set of goalie gear and for the games we would just throw a kid in net they had no training no opportunity and the best players were the best goalies um so the reality is is that when you go through the training and the opportunities you have um it's it's if a kid that loves playing net um you know enjoy it and there's different things that he'll be able to do to obtain you know what he's going to work towards being the best version of himself he can be but um you know the funny thing is i i ran a goalie school out here for a number of years when i retired and um you know the goalies we had come through it i just watched three of them play in the nhl you know i had eric comrie um i had darcy kemper and um i had uh, thatcher demko so wow. you know those are three kids, uh, Eric Comrie and Thatcher both played for the LA Junior Kings. And, um, you know, uh, it was just one of those uh, scenarios. Andy Nowicki brought out uh, Darcy Kempfer at 16 from um, somewhere in Calgary. He said, I got this kid going to bring him out to the goalie school. Andy, come out with me. And we work with him. And, you know, it's funny. Yeah, you see it. And I think it's, you know, it's, it's a fortune of, you know, having those kids kind of come through and you get an opportunity to work with them at one, one time or another. Um, but at the same token, I just think it's, uh, we also had Dustin Wolf, you know, who's, uh, he, he could be one of the best goalies that uh, you're going to see. He's, he's seventh round pick. He should have went a lot higher. Um, he's been the best player every age group he's played at. Not the best goalie, he's the best player. You know, they, they played on an 0-1 team. Um, they went to, uh, remember they're at a tournament in Vancouver. They're playing against all the top West teams. The kids getting drafted first overall in the WHL. They got a shot 60 to 8 one, one, nothing. Wow. And that was every game for him. He was the best wow. player on that team. And Brendan Brisson was on that team, NHL draft pick. Jackson Lacombe, NHL draft pick, was on that team. And Dustin Wolf was by far better than everyone, not even close. It wasn't like, you know, so Dustin Wolf, if he continues to be the player he was, which he has been, he will be a standout at the NHL level, which is. It's a great thing. It's pretty amazing to see as long as his body holds up. I've heard that kids are already having hip surgery and, you know, mm. dealing with problems that I still haven't dealt with. Maybe it's because, uh, you know, we, we didn't train as much as they did when we were that young. But um, if his body holds up, uh, that could be another phenomenal goalie that came from uh, California. Yeah, we're, we're big fans of Dustin's and he's been, been great to us here at Ingle. I'm just curious because you've talked there about some goaltenders that develop some high level technical skills at a young age. Uh, but then you also talked about sort of just letting guys go in net at a very young age and developing that instinctual side. Where do you see that balance? Because there's a bit of a debate, I'd say, in the goaltending community right now about whether we should just let kids figure it out on their own before we start teaching the technical stuff. And then, of course, other people 
uh, really believe in teaching the fine parts of the game at a young age. So do you see that uh, as an important balance in there somewhere? I, I think realistically, it's uh, it's the same thing as how many times can you do math in a week, right? You could do it five days a week. Uh, I'm sure the kid will get sick of it. Um, mm-hmm. You could do it once a month and he might fall behind. But if you find the balance, so working with a goalie coach, working on goalie specific, because here's the thing, you get out in a game and the guy fans on a shot. He doesn't shoot from the angle he's going to. The guy doesn't make the read he's going to. It's so unpredictable. Hockey's unpredictable. So being in an unpredictable environment is what the kids need because that's what they're going to get, right? But being in a controlled environment where Andy Nowicki had a great saying where goalies make 90% of saves no matter what, meaning if the goalie's out of position, you're still going to hit him in the toe because he's going to make the save so he understands the positioning he's going to have to work to get in rather than just beating him and he lets in 80% of goals. So goalie-specific training can work on technical, which is technical. Essentially what it does is it's making you – it enables you to uh, um, you know, have more confidence in what you're going to be able to maintain. It allows you to have the repetition. But the hard part is, is that if you're too technical, it's Carey Price when he first came in the NHL, from my opinion – um, he had to be in the perfect position to make every save until he becomes more of a, a reaction, like Jonathan Quick was at the start, whereas like those are two polar opposite goalies. Carey Price had to learn how to be more of a reaction and just react and not – there's times where you're out of position that you're going to have to scramble to make saves. And when you're in perfect position, everything game's easier. When you're not, you still have an opportunity to succeed. I think he's had a great balance of that, and that's why he's still playing and so effective at the age he's at. And Jonathan Quick was the opposite. He was so sporadic and so athletic. He had to learn how to tone it in and put himself in a position where he's a little bit more positionally, like don't allow yourself to have to do as much to have success. So I think, um, you know, for goalies growing up, you know, for people, if they do too much, if they overtrain in one area, I think that it'll be a, it's not going to help them. So you can try to find that fine line of how much work I'm putting in to, um, you know, the success that I see myself having. So if I'm putting in the work with a goalie coach three times a week and all of a sudden I see tremendous success, I'll keep up with it. As soon as I see it start to fall back and all of a sudden I'm getting tired and, you know, things aren't working, well, maybe I'll pull back on a little bit and I'll work more on in other areas. But I think that, um, you know, the biggest thing you look at from goalies is it, the one area that you can't teach is just going to be the natural ability to get in front of the puck. That's something that you can watch video on. You can give them opportunities. But I was even talking with our GM and uh, when I was older and we had a young goalie I was helping. And I said, you know, like as soon as this guy walks in right away, I see a triangle. The triangle's there. I'm going to meet the triangle and I'm going to be in a position where all of a sudden the guy has no options because if he walks to the left, he's going to run into the D. If he walks to the right, we're going to hit the post. So I already know, um, you know, basically what I'm getting myself into. And he said, Jamie, they don't even understand what you're looking at. Like they're not going to see it. So those are things that I find when you kind of go through it, you, you try and have a little bit of a balance with, right. And um, I think, you know, trying to help kids find that, which is sometimes just naturally letting them play and seeing, you know, some kids just have a natural ability to get in front of the puck. Uh, Some kids really have to work at it, right. It's just, it's like work to them. Um, and then the technical side kind of comes in where, you know, now that you have a natural ability to get in front of the puck, now we work on proper leg recoveries, we work on your angles, we work on your depth control. It's going to help you be more effective because essentially it was like when Dave Franco started working with Curtis Joseph at 31, 32 years old, um, you're not going to make them any better 
right? Uh, from this, some of the stuff you do, uh, you know, it's not going to be like you're teaching them how to play goal, but what you can teach them is how to be quicker. Like Curtis Joseph would always get up with the same leg. So, you know, we, Dave Franco was showing him, okay, proper leg recovery. You're going to start rotating. If it goes to your left, you're going to get up with your right leg. Mm -hmm. And he started, he's like, Jesus, this is easier. My hip rotation is better. And it made it a little bit easier for him. And that's all it did. Curtis Joseph's still the hall of fame goalie. He always was. Mm -hmm. Just Dave helped him be a little bit quicker in one area. Right. So those are things that technical does for you. So it's, you know, you have to learn getting in front of the puck, your angles, positioning, and, uh, you know, all those fundamentals, I think are, you know, more, some of them are self-taught. Some of them are just taught through, you know, it's, it's like uh, repetition, but also just opportunity. So. Fantastic. Thank you so much. I wish, wish we had another hour. I could pull on a lot of these threads for a long time. There's so much to learn there and it's a real pleasure hanging out with you a little bit this morning, Jamie. So uh, thanks for joining us here at Ingle and uh, look forward to being in touch again in the future. No worries. Sounds great. I appreciate your time. Okay. There's, there's gotta be uh, a, a cool little, like, I can't believe that part of it, but there's also, when you listen to that interview and great job, Hutch, there's also the part where like, his his confidence when he played and that that was that didn't, we, we were joking earlier in the show about not having to be asked twice to do the hot lap without a bucket uh like jamie store just grew into himself as being uh, expected to make every team he played for whether it was 15 or 16 or 17 at whatever level hutch that 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 jumped out at me. sure did i mean even that that opportunity to play junior hockey at such a young age and then that confidence i mean we talked about it a little bit in the interview but having that confidence as you say to just sort of walk into any room no matter what your age uh and feel comfortable and expect that you're able to be there for me though you know the tie-in between these two stories because there's that wayne gretzky piece in here really i found fascinating the the opportunity to live with wayne gretzky as a rookie um yeah. I, like i know we've all heard stories of uh, Sidney Crosby living with Lemieux for a while. There's all sorts of situations now where veterans look after the younger players. But it's a whole nother world when you're living with Wayne Gretzky. I mean, back when he was playing for the LA Kings, he had rock star status in California, around the world, completely different level. And, and both there and then offline a little while, uh, Jamie shared some stuff that I just can't imagine anything like what he went through, what an incredible experience. And yet there's Gretz just making him feel like one of the boys, making him feel perfectly comfortable so that when he probably this, I wonder if that I should have asked if that was sort of the first time he, he hit a situation where maybe he wasn't as confident as he was as a youngster making all these teams because it, again, just the level that he was stepping into, but uh, stepped into and, and did it well, didn't he? How about not going to the Olympics? Yeah. What a decision. Because you wanted yeah. I, I, I don't know that I could ever make that decision. No. Nope. I don't know how you'd... Well, I, I would, but I'd be going to the Olympics. Well, yeah, 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 for sure. Yeah. Well, hey, but listen, that's a decision that's coming up and something we can talk about next week. A lot of... Right. I think NHL players are going to have to make a tough call here because it's uh, not as easy as uh, they thought it would be to head over this uh, this spring. Uh, Woody, what did you uh, what did you take away from I'm, that? Before, and I want to get into the John Mattis... Uh, from the score and the goalies are weird podcast. Uh, to me, the the two things that jump, I mean, the Gretzky stories are just like, that's, you're just kind of scratching your head. Like, that's just crazy. Um, but just his dad, like, yeah. And then everything he took from that, like where that, where that work at, like at, at the end of the day, it, 
it was about making the most of opportunities and putting the work in too. And that all comes from his dad. And what a remarkable story to get to like, like, are you kidding me? Like the Toronto Maple Leafs, as much as we talk about e-bugs and everything, like to basically start playing gold that late and end up at that level at a camp. And then to have sort of, it's kind of sad, actually, the interest sort of be taken like, hey, like, we like you, but where'd you play? Oh, well, yeah, yeah. I was just basically playing beer well, league. Well, if, if it's today... If it's today, uh, well, Hutch made the the line about if it's today, he has a YouTube channel. Well, if it's today, he he doesn't get to that point because they they hockey DB him or or check out his stats and go no, <laughs> they, they, Johnny doesn't have to have that conversation with with Mister Store because he already knows. Well, and there's there's probably a lesson there, maybe not at the National Hockey League level because clearly you probably need to have a path to that. But there's probably some lessons there that I don't want to get on a soapbox here, but for the minor hockey league level about kids that, you know, frankly, don't make teams because of where they played the year before or whatever, even though everything in front of you that you are witnessing in terms of their ability to stop pucks tells you they deserve this opportunity or are good enough for it. The amount of nightmare stories I've heard about goalies being cut simply because they weren't on that team last year or in the pipeline to make that team this year, regardless of how good they are. Um at least, if nothing else, let's take that lesson from it. That if this guy can get to Toronto Maple Leafs camp after this many years, maybe we shouldn't be judging the 12 and 13 year olds uh, who are coming off a summer where everything could have changed their their body, their growth, being comfortable with that growth. Go to camps like and now, nah, sorry, but you're great, but we're not going to let you on this team because you weren't in you weren't on track to make it last year. So. Uh, soapbox for me, but that was, I sort of couldn't help but think of that as I was listening to that story as fantastical as it would seem to us. That's still the reality, that conversation that Johnny Bauer had with him for kids in minor, young goalies in minor hockey today. And it's freaking absurd. Hey, how about uh, having back-to-back Wayne Gretzky stories? Jamie Store and uh, coming up next, uh, John Mattis from The Score. He's got a new podcast project uh, out. Uh, multi-episode series, Goalies Are Weird. Uh, he'll explain the whole thing, but it basically centers on, on goaltenders from the 90s. What, what's up, Hutch? I didn't mind the title of it because I'm pretty sure it's actually when goalies were weird. Oh. So we're not anymore. I think back in the day they were a little bit different, but but we're we're the most normalist people on the team now, No, we're we? not. No. No? No, we're still standing in front of pucks. Yeah, but we're wearing weird. all that gear. It's the defenseman there or the net front power yeah, play. The defensemen guy aren't the weird. Right They're just, uh, I, I are think weird. That, They're just not are. smart. Yeah. Yeah. Right. That, that, that's what that right. is. Right. We're weird because we want to do it all the time. Okay. They're just not very smart because they do it without, without. Right. I just wanted people to so be able it's to when goalies title, were, but we'll when goalies were weird. I apologize, John. Goalies are weird. They were weird. They'll always be weird. And we're just, maybe fitting in a little bit better. Maybe the whole game is just getting stranger. Uh, but uh, we have a Wayne Gretzky story coming up in, in, in this one, Woody. Uh, and it just, it, it kind of comes at a, in a, not just like who did Wayne Gretzky score on the most or anything like that. It just comes out of a, out of nowhere, out of conversation. Yeah. And a, and a fun one. I don't want to spoil it. Um, but John does a nice job setting up the clips and we've got a few, the series goes for six weeks. There are already a few into it. Uh, started with uh Hashik, got Patrick Waugh up, um, you, you'll hear the names that they're going to roll out right through Christmas. Make sure you check it out. Same places you would find uh, the Ingo Radio podcast. Um, just look for the score, the score app. Uh, look for them on the podcast. It's it's kind of what they call a narrative podcast series. So it's I think it's six parts, limited series, 
hundreds of interviews went into it. Yeah. And yeah, I'll just let John explain the rest of it and how it all shaped up. And he's going to share some uh, audio clips with us here. A second feature interview brought to you by Sensorina, Sensorina VR. It's a conversation between Woody and John Mattis from The Score on a special series delving into goaltenders of the 90s. Doing something a little different on the Ingold Radio podcast today. Pleased to welcome to the show John Mattis from The Score. And he has got what I would call an intriguing and exciting project for us goalie geeks. It's already underway. Don't take offense at the title, Goalie Union. When Goalies Were Weird, it's a, I believe, a six-part podcast series going to run right through Christmas. It started already. Episode one was Dominic Hasek and just sort of... Actually, you tell me, John, what was the goal and, and how do we, how are we exploring these goalies in unique ways? Because I love the idea. Yeah, sure. So first of all, thanks for having me on, Kevin. And I guess the goal of the series was just to deep dive some of the greatest goalies of all time. And they happen to be located in the 90s for the most part in terms of this group of guys. So uh, we kind of hooked it around 90s era because say a guy like Ron Hextall, our subject for the third episode, I mean, he's an 80s, 90s goalie, right? But we decided to, to dig in on that group of, of goaltenders. And also, you know, it's about their legacy. It's about their big moments. It's about their life. But it's also about how they're, they're strange. You know, you guys are <laughs> creatures of habit. Uh, you guys, at least in that era, would fight would try to score goals maybe more than they do now. Um, the equipment was really changing, as you know, Kevin, like just uh, whether it was Belfour uh, going to town on his equipment on the daily, or it was, you know, Francois Lair and Patrick Waugh working on not only the equipment, but on getting the butterfly popularized. So there's just a lot of meat on the bone there. Like Kevin, as a, a fellow, I guess, content creator, if you want to use that term, there's just so much there. Um, so we had a lot to choose from. We narrowed down the list of five guys for our five main episodes. And that's uh, Hashik, Waugh, Hextall, Belfour, and Joseph. And then for our sixth episode, we decided to do sort of a medley. So Jim Carrey is in that episode. Guy who came in guns a-blazing with the, the goaltending position and then left in a, in a whimper, you can call it. Uh, just kind of falling off the face of the earth after five years. So that that's weird. Um, Damien Rose had these, uh, these leopard print jocks and he was very superstitious. So we wanted to go in on him a little bit in that episode, the sixth one and Gar snow, you know, kind of an eighties guy, but he also played in the nineties. He, <laughs> that equipment was massive. Uh, he was a trash talker. So a lot there with him. And then to cap it all off, because we, we talked to the was or talked uh, about the was and, about you know the hashics of the world, we need to include Marty Brodeur in this in this series. So he's the last guy in that sixth episode. He's probably the least weird, but we thought it was only natural since uh, the weirdness is merely a way into talking about some of the greatest goalies of all time. Now you've got some clips you're going to share with our audience as part of this interview with uh, some of the different guys that you had on. But what to you as you were going through this stood out? Maybe. Maybe first of all, from the equipment side, like were some of the best stories about the evolution of the equipment? Because I think that's been a theme we've visited here at Ingo Radio over the years. Like the equipment changing made it possible for the style to change because 
the fear factor disappeared out of goaltending. And these guys were probably a generation, the last generation where the fear factor, the fact that it hurt um, to be a goalie and that you had to sort of live with or embrace that mentality uh, was really a part of the position. Yeah, I guess off the top from the macro level, I guess I hadn't realized or I hadn't connected the dots on the fact that not only were these goalies changing the equipment for performance reasons to stop more pucks, but to protect themselves. As you alluded to, coming out of the 80s, you had those old brown pads that were really hugging the leg. They weren't really spreading out and being, you know, efficient, we'll call it. Uh, and the, the material was just not right. Uh, and then and then you transition into the 90s where some of the stuff, this is another thing. And, and Kevin, you as someone who really digs into this stuff, I'm sure you already knew this, but it amazed me going through this that a guy like Eddie Belfour, a guy like Patrick Waugh, uh, Hashik, that they had an influence, like a direct influence on adding things to the goalie's repertoire in regards to equipment. So, you know, Hashik would add a little piece here. Uh, Belfour would, he, he literally invented, uh, according to him, he invented uh, this, this removable blade that was attached to the special cowling uh in the in the mid 90s and he's he says that he sold the patents the patents sorry to reebok so like it, it it blows my mind a little bit that guys took it to that extreme and i know that belfour is is um a very rare man in terms of how he approached the game the preparation um but still for a guy to spend his off season tinkering with his equipment to the level that he did which was you know, getting patents on, on a new type of equipment that just blew my mind as someone who obviously pays attention to goalies. Uh, you know, I'm a hockey journalist. I'm a hockey fan. I've grown up around hockey, uh, for it to go to that level. I think that's something that, that really amazed me because you just assume that there's, there's a middle person between the equipment companies and these star goalies, but sometimes there isn't, you know, there was a Steve Sumner, the equipment guy in Dallas, I believe it was him, was telling me that there was one season where Belfour was just not, you know, not happy with his pads. So he went through like six different types of pads that that Vaughn was sending him within a half a season. And then Mike Vaughn, the guy who runs Vaughn, was like, Ed, I got to like step away here because you're putting too much work on my plate. Like you need to figure it out yourself because clearly what, what we're sending you just isn't good enough. Like I got a life to live. I got a business to run. So I found that hilarious. And, and just the fact that there is that direct connection, not only with the innovation and adding things here and there, subtracting things here and there, but also just the interaction. Maybe you go through an equipment guy. Maybe you got you have a Mike Vaughn on the phone uh, and, and you're just talking one-on-one. So the equipment really jumped out at me from someone who didn't know goaltending uh, to, to a a granular, granular level. Uh, one of the most fascinating goaltenders in the history of the game, Dominic Hasek, is where you led things off. I thought appropriately, arguably, and I'd make the argument the best goaltender in the history of the game. Um, he did things that looked unorthodox, but having had the opportunity to interview him myself in the past, there was always a method to that madness. Um, I'll never forget him explaining how the barrel roll save was actually an inverse butterfly with his arms out across the ice and his legs up in the air like his torso would be in a butterfly. What jumped out at you about that? And and just out of curiosity, because so much of the Hashik stuff is other guys who interacted with him, 
how much of that goes through the different episodes? Like, it is, a, is it a lot of Patrick or is it a lot of the people around him when we get to Waugh uh, next week? Yeah, one thing I'll say is that Patrick Waugh actually declined an interview. So he's, you know, declined it multiple times. So we tried to get him, but he's not in the, the series himself. Same with Curtis Joseph. Haven't been able to track him down uh, through at least PR. He just hasn't answered. So that's not really a decline. Just didn't happen. Um, but we did get Hashik. We did get Hextall. And we did get Balfour. So I would say that their involvement from like contributing to the episode from a soundbite perspective is fairly limited. Uh, Kevin, as you know, when you interview these guys, their goalie coach, their teammate, they got more interesting things to say about, about them. But I did want to talk to each guy, if possible, because there's certain things you got to confirm. And you want to ask just, for example, with Ed Balfour, why were you so obsessed with the equipment? Like, where did that come from? Were you obsessed with that with other things? Um, is this something where, you know, you're four years old and you're that, that kid that's dialed into something? Is it just part of your personality? So there's, there's many questions about that. And then say with Hashik, there was even, uh, he got in this physical altercation with a reporter back in the day, Bill Kelly of the Buffalo news. It's a bit of an infamous incident. So I wanted to ask him about that. Like in hindsight, what happened there? How do you feel? all that kind of stuff. I also talked to Hashik about his, his upbringing, how he got involved in goaltending. So there's certain spots that you can touch with the goalies themselves that are important. But if you ask them, you know, you know, what's the best story uh, involving you and your equipment? I mean, they're not going to provide you with anything interesting. It's, it's the teammates who are watching and going, are you, are you serious right now with this guy? Um, or the goalie coaches, goalie coaches were invaluable to this exercise. Just having that one-on-one connection, being able to compare a goalie that they worked with with another goalie they worked with or another goalie in the industry. And I also find goalie coaches are really good at dumbing things down, Uh, like, say, uh, the skate sharpening machine. I I know very little about that. I don't know what your knowledge is, Kevin, but like, it's a pretty niche thing unless you're inside a team and in the dressing room. So it was nice to get those perspectives as as well. So over the the six episodes, I think we talked to a hundred people total. Uh, wow. You won't you won't hear a hundred voices because there's some people that just didn't make the cut in terms of you know they didn't have anything that interesting to say or you know we didn't want the episode to run sixty minutes. We kept it to more forty fifty. So we tried to dig in you know pretty deeply with these guys. Uh, the goal was at least a dozen per uh, episode at least in terms of the the five that we focus on for the first five episodes. And we accomplished that and more. So, yeah, it was uh, it was a lot of interviewing. And I should shout out my uh, colleague, Nick Ferris, who did a, a fair amount of reporting and researching as well. Uh, and in the Hashik interview, you've got um, Mitch Korn in there. So anytime we have a chance to hear from Mitch, who's 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 been a, f- a friend to us over the years here at Ingle, unfortunately, a little bit of a silenced friend since he took uh, the job with the New York Islanders and Lou Lamarillo. Um, but a great opportunity to hear hashtag stories from Mitch as well in that first episode. Um, I know you've got some clips that we're going to share some, some, uh, so a taste for our audience because we want them to go check it out, but a little bit of a taste for them. Can you, uh, without having them in front of me, I'm not sure which episodes we're pulling from. Can you give me a hint, like what, what we're going to hear and, and how it provides a sample of, of what people can hear when they listen to the whole series. Like I said, Already out there now, Hashik interview uh, or the Hashik episode. Patrick Waugh next week, November 29th, right through to Christmas, six episodes. Yeah, so I, I guess let's start with Waugh because I found that Adam Foote was 
really good to talk to. They were roommates on the road with the Colorado Avalanche for eight years. And Foot even mentioned that they would get into pillow fights in the, the hotel room, which is just like the image of, of Waugh and Foot, these two, you know, huge guys who, you know, were, were in battle with the Detroit Red Wings for a number of years, who are no shrinking violets. Them, for whatever reason, had this ritual where they would pillow fight. <laughs> so, so I thought that was also hilarious. The, the soundbite that we passed along is him basically explaining how this guy was just so dialed into hockey every single waking hour. I mean, you know, maybe take off one hour. All right, well, let's, let's have a listen to that clip here now. We're all in a hotel at, uh, in Colorado the night before our first playoff game. And um, I don't know, he's probably going to kill me if I tell you this. But I walk in and, you know, the old Keats, it's just, it's real quick. And I go in and uh, Waz standing on his bed going down to a butterfly. And he's still got his suit pants, dress pants on and his golf shirt because we were all out to dinner as a team the night before the first playoff game. And he jumps off the bed and his hair, the thin, long hair at the front flips. It's like, what the hell are you doing? He goes, Nothing, nothing, footer. Just getting ready. Just getting ready. And he was so intense, even the night before, so focused. It kind of set me, holy crap. And I was giggling, but at the same time going, here we go. (laughs) That basically sounds like we hear so much about goalies now with visualization and working with mental skills coaches to um, visualize what's going to happen. As a matter of fact, we got goalies now using virtual reality to put themselves literally in the game. And it sounds just like Patrick Wall was ahead of the curve there. He put himself in the game using a television and, and imitating what was going on in the hotel room before a playoff game. That's fascinating. The next guy on our clip list, and that's Ron Hextall, who um, you know I think a lot of people know for, for the fiery nature. I think in the goalie world, we know him for his puck handling, scoring a goal, and being the goalie who actually inspired Martin Brodeur to play the puck after his dad watched Ron Hextall act like a third defenseman out there. Um, but that fiery nature, is that what was, where did the focus go? I'm guessing it's more towards the fire than firing the puck when you talk to Ron Hextall. Well, you know what? We tried to focus on both because I think that his contribution to the goaltending position lives on through the puck handling. Like the fieriness is ultimately pretty short term, if you will. I guess I guess goalies could have watched and went, I want to be like Ron Hextall, but does that affect your wins and losses? Probably not. Whereas the puck handling, revolutionary. Um, so we focused on both, and there's a lot of good stories about both, but the clip we sent along was from Dave Poulin, who obviously works for TSN now. He he was uh, the captain of the Flyers when Hextall was there. And he brings up a, a pretty good story of when Hextall and Poulin were with Team Canada for the 1987 Canada Cup. And it's after practice, and it's Poulin, it's Hextall, it's Wayne Gretzky, and Wayne Gretzky's kid brother. And they decide to play horse. And somehow, some way, I'll, I'll let you know Poulin really dig into it in the in the soundbite because he's just very good at at laying it out. But somehow, some way. Ron Hextall actually beats Wayne Gretzky in horse while using his goalie equipment, which Kevin, you can probably speak to the difficulty of that. Even now that, you know, say goalie sticks, for example, have come a long way back then <laughs> he was using, you know, this, this pretty basic goalie stick. It was like wood a two by for, four. Yeah. And, and, you know, he would tweak it. Uh, he would, you know, use a blowtorch. He would use a, a saw to do what he could, but at the end of the day, goalie sticks, in terms of the offensive ability of them, 
uh, we're at a very low spot compared to now. So Poulin, uh, I thought, that laid out quite well how good of a not only a puck handler, but a shooter and a stick handler uh, Hextall was. And this is back in 87, right? So he was just breaking into the league. He had just won the Vezina and the Smythe. He wasn't necessarily this, this grizzled vet who had you know, worked two decades to build up this, this puck handling. It, it seemed to be a pretty natural thing with him where he had it in junior, he had it when he broke into the NHL, and he kept it going, obviously ending up, ended up scoring uh, multiple goals. Well, let's hear that story about uh, playing horse with a goalie stick. We're going to play a game of horse, and it's myself, it's Gretz, it's his younger brother, Brent, who's about 15 at the time, has come out on the ice after practice, and it's Hex with his goalie stick and goalie gloves. And so the first move that Gretz tries, and he gets to go first because his name was on the bottom of the shooter tutor, and those are his rules. He got to go first all the time. But he'd come around the net and backhand short, short side shelf. Now, talking about a goalie with goalie stick and goalie gloves coming around the net and putting a backhand up into the top corner on the short side. So Hexy does it (laughs) and scores. And now we're, you know, the guys are howling, right? But he actually won the game and the winning shot was a wrist shot in the top glove corner from center ice. So a game of horse, Ron Hextall, Wayne Gretzky. Um, Hextall's a guy that we kind of knew always as a flyer, even though he played for some other teams, like we'll always remember Ron Hextall as a flyer. But we almost, and, and I think to me, Eddie Belfour, as much as you talked about the stars and the Leafs, I always think of him first and foremost as a Chicago Blackhawk. And Dominic Hasek, first and foremost, probably as a Buffalo Sabre, despite the Cups coming with Detroit. Now, at one point, they were teammates, Belfour and Hasek in Chicago before the trade. And a lot of a lot of interesting what ifs would come out of that if they maybe the Blackhawks make a different decision, but they went with Hashik and or went with Hashik in a trade and Buffalo grabs Hashik. You've got a story about how that came to be and why Buffalo chose to go after Dominic Hashik and basically get arguably the greatest goaltender of all time that sort of fits into this. Tell me about that one. Yeah, there's a lot of layers to this, right? Because for one, you have the Blackhawks organization that has Mike Keenan, the one of his legendary ticks, we'll call it, is that he loved pulling goalies. He was it was like a pitcher. He just like, oh, you're not playing well. Well, we're putting someone else in. It's not about is this going to offend him? Is he going to be upset? Is it going to mess up his head? It was like, see ya. So he would constantly pull guys, and this created a, you know a goalie carousel in a lot of ways because guys would be up and down from the minors constantly so around the time that Belfort was coming through Hashik was also coming through he of course started in the Czech Republic or Czechoslovakia back then and eventually made himself uh you know or got himself over he's with the Saginaw Hawks and so Belfort and him kind of cross paths they don't really get along and you can understand why there's only one starting job and it wasn't even just those two. There was like six guys that could legitimately have been the, the starting goalie for the Hawks long-term. So Belfour ends up winning that job. You know, it just Keenan really took a, took a shine to him. And so the Blackhawks had this Hasek guy who had just absolutely destroyed the Czechoslovakia league. You know, I think he won like five straight goal of the year honors 
and he had come over and put up good numbers in the IHL. So they had this prospect slash not prospect because he was uh, 25 or so, and they didn't know what to do with him. So they put out some feelers, and the Sabres were were super excited that there was a possibility there to to acquire Hashik. And from the other side of the table, Jerry Meehan, the GM for the Sabres, kind of looked at it as, okay, uh, they've clearly attached themselves to Belfour. I don't really understand why they're giving up on Hashik uh, from a, a big picture perspective, but we're, we're going to take this and run with this. So um, he applauds uh, the, the Blackhawks for, you know, taking an asset and turning it into something else. Um, I believe Eric Daze came back in the return uh, via pick. Um, but, you know, if you look back, one of the probably one of the worst goalie trades of all time in terms of what happened, uh, you know, player for player, et cetera. But they had Ed Belfour as well. So you can't really blame the Blackhawks. <laughs> Two legendary goalies. One goes somewhere else. One stays put. And it's just, it, there's a whole what if game that you can play there. And you can go in so many different directions. Like, imagine these guys were a tandem for a number of years and really got along well. That would have been interesting. I realize it wasn't the the era of the tandem. Um, so maybe that would have to ha- have to happen in this century. But uh, really interesting what if when you've got two of the greatest of all time crossing paths around the same age while they're both coming up and one goes the other way, one stays put. Well, let's get one side of that trade story from Jerry Meehan in this clip. We started the discussion uh, kind of on a casual way, and I knew that they were committed to Eddie Belfour as their number one goalie, and there they were sitting on an asset that they were using infrequently, and yet his numbers when he played were better than just about anybody's in the league. So that struck me as, well, you know, something's going on there because here's a guy who has great numbers, but he's not getting in the net. It just occurred to me that Chicago had to make a decision that they were, their loyalty was to Eddie and it was well-deserved. So like any, you know, good organization, they probably said, well, you know, there's a guy that we're not using to his full potential. What can we get for him? And it went from there. Fascinating stuff and good on you guys for digging so deep into uh, all these goaltenders, not just talking to them, but all the people around them. Like you said, heck of a heck of a project. Uh, I believe it's called an, I believe they call that a narrative podcast. Um, which is a new term for me, but I'm excited by it, and I'm excited to hear the rest of this series. Um, good on you, John. Great job. Great, like, what am I, it must have been a ton of work. Like, podcast, you know, on our end, it's like, hey, this is kind of easy. We just talk goaltending. We bring in a guest. We talk goaltending. This goes way beyond. This is like real, this is real journalism. Pulling all the different stories and then tie them together into a narrative format, uh, and it comes out really well. Really enjoyed the Hashik one. Looking forward to Wah, followed by Hextall. Belfour, Joseph, and then Brodeur, Snow, Rhodes, and Carey on December 27th. Folks, in addition to the In Goal Radio podcast, which you must continue to listen to, I insist, make sure you go check out this series all the way through after Christmas and, and you know, right through your holiday listening. John, thanks for joining us. Thanks for sharing those clips. And thanks for doing such a great job on behalf of the Goalie Union and telling these stories. Hey, no problem. Hopefully I do you guys justice because obviously when you produce something like this for a a casual fan audience, if you will, a wide audience. Um, you know, some things you can't fully dive into because it gets too technical and you lose people. Some things you can because it's a little more relatable or palatable. So I, I will find it interesting, I think, what 
the goalie geeks think about this. Uh, I've gotten a little bit of feedback and it's been, it's been positive, but the greater goalie community, uh, I do wonder uh, what they will think of it. And uh, first of all, thanks for having me on. Second of all, thanks for, for the kind words and anyone listening. It's, it's on Spotify. It's on Stitcher. It's on Apple podcasts. It's on Google podcasts, whatever you're listening to this podcast on, I'm sure we're there. So uh, Kevin, again, thanks for having me on. Yeah, my pleasure. Uh, it's through the score. It's when goalies were weird. Should be easy to find it on all your regular podcast formats. The same place you listen to us at In Goal Radio. It will be available. Just search for it. Do yourself a favor. It's worth the listen. I got a. I got a funny feeling that some of that technical stuff that might have ended up on the cutting room floor, we could have had an entire episode on that here on the In Goal Radio podcast. But still, a ton of stuff in there beyond the technical that made these guys great and made them unique. We won't use the word weird here at Ingle, but made them unique and made this so enjoyable to listen to. Thanks again, John, for your time. And thanks again for taking on such a great project. Thanks, Kevin. Cheers. I'll, I'll, I'll be listening to that series. At first, when I heard the, the idea or the premise, I thought it was interviews with with all the goaltenders i kind of like it more that it's it's anecdotes from a whole bunch of other people that takes a lot a lot of work oh, and planning and and going into it so i'll be i'll be really interested to hear some of the uh some of the uh stories and and different little drops from people well massive project but i think you're right like as much as it's different than what we do talking to the goalies like the reality is, and maybe I went into it actually expecting to get some clips from the goalies as opposed yeah. to the people around them. I but did. the reality is, like as I said, like Patrick Waugh was basically doing visualization and his own little version of Sensorina using the TV on the bed in the Colorado Avalanche um, hotel room yeah. on the road in a playoff series like all those years ago. But do you think Patrick's sharing that story with us? No, no, his roommate Adam Foote did. So like in that, there's the value of going that route, right? You get stories that you wouldn't get from the goaltenders themselves because they're not going to talk about a moment that, you know, in, at the time probably felt even almost a little embarrassing to him. But I, I, I loved that story. That was one of my favorites along with the Hextall-Gretzky one. Like which goaltender from a certain age hasn't jumped on the bed and done the butterfly? Just not usually before a Stanley Cup playoff game. That's that's the only difference. Uh, I was gonna say, what, what do you mean, certain age? Like, are you guys not doing this before every game? What are we talking about here? Come on, guys. It's the uh, safest the, the area. Gets... If you have a king size bed, you can actually get a crease for your sense arena without yeah, worrying no. about hitting anything. Those foam uh, beds have uh, have really helped out because they just absorb it. You don't do a lot of the the bouncing up and down. Uh, what about the Wayne Gretzky horse story? Well, that was unreal because I've heard stories before. Uh, whether they're legend or true of, you know, people saying, oh, Wayne Gretzky could line up five pucks on the blue line and he could uh, hit the crossbar right where it met the goalpost five times in a row. And you just hear these, these incredible things. And then what does Ron Hextall do? I just, I'm going to be telling that one forever. Like, as I have told a few of Woody's stories of uh, puck handling goalies as well in the past. There's a perfect segue and a reminder, folks, that we've got lots of new articles at ingoalmag.com up. And a reminder that it's time to get your, like, the best Christmas gift you could get. If your goalie is not already subscribing or if you bought it as a Christmas gift in the past, a reminder, it doesn't automatically renew. You need to repurchase that gift for them this year. Um, In Goal Mag Premium is the best spot for a goaltender to get better. It includes puck handling, drills from Mike Smith, and a new one coming up. 
that reminded me of that Hextall story. We had Matt Vallalta uh, of the Los Angeles Kings, the Ontario Reign, their American Hockey League prospect, in town this week. And I watched him out there taking one tease on cross-ice feeds from the goalie coach, Matt Millar. And, I, and it was at the end of a long practice, and I first thought, okay, as I was filming, I almost turned the camera off because I thought it was just guys out having fun, right? And how many with times his goalie stick? With his goalie stick. With his goalie stick. And, and with the full Turco grip. Like he was shooting it like he would pass or shoot a puck. And I just thought, hey, two things. One, this is just a goalie out there having fun late. And how many times have we heard from some of the greatest in the game that getting comfortable with your stick and firing the puck is all about just going out there and doing the extra work. But And he was having fun. He ripped a couple bar down off the crossbar. Like The accuracy was amazing to watch, which reminded me of the Hextall story. But in talking to them, there was actually value there in terms of one-touching pucks, getting comfortable with a stick that, you know, he flexes like a player. This isn't me playing shuffleboard. Like, he's getting comfortable with leaning into that thing. He actually snapped one while we were watching right at the the blend of the, the paddle and the shaft. It, it actually broke on him. He was leaning into it so much. But getting comfortable playing the puck, passing the puck, not in perfect situations, not where you can stop it, set it, have a look, but like, hey, quick one touches where if the pass is in your feet or off your front skate, you've got to move and adjust to it and get comfortable. And it was just, it was fun to watch. We'll share the drill as simple as it is. We'll share their thoughts on it at ingoldmag.com. Uh, another reminder, we had pro reads this week and I want to shout out Braden Holpe for an exceptional milestone. Um, Braden played his 500th game this week with the Dallas Stars, won it with a remarkable series of saves at the end. Breakaway into Scorpion, into two-pad stack windmill to finish it off on three different shots from three different shooters. It was it was incredible. Win number 293 passes Jacques Plant for the most wins in the history of the game through the first 500 appearances for any NHL goaltender. Like, that's some... Braden's not a guy who talks a lot about milestones, and, and he was sim, he, he kind of echoed that after the game but that's that's a hell of an achievement and a guy who's having a great bounce back season so we decided we needed to have a double dose of Braden Holtby pro reads to honor it uh, that's online right now at ingolmag.com uh, there are over a hundred pro reads up there and a reminder if you buy a gift subscription for the goaltender in your life it's an annual subscription if you buy an annual subscription for yourself you get full access to the archive so not only the next year with another 52 um, pro reads coming over a hundred already in the archives that you can watch. But don't listen to Hutch and, and skip over uh, the banter back and forth with us uh, if you're an Ingle Mag subscriber. Well, I don't think people do. I think people get the best of both worlds. If they subscribe to this new Ingle Features podcast channel, they will have already heard us. It's now that chance to go back and get the best <laughs> of the best. So I think you get the best of both worlds because this new features channel is just going to be archive material. It'll be at least three months old. And in the case of Roberto Luongo, we're looking at two years old. But still, all that content, I think, was evergreen. Sometimes the chit chatter that we have on here, guys, isn't quite as evergreen. It's more up to what's going on these days in the NHL. So if you're interested in that, head over to ingolmag.com, hit the podcast link, and you'll see uh, where you can subscribe. Or you can just go ingolmag.com slash IGR features, and uh, you'll be able to subscribe there. Uh, and don't forget, if you just think I'm completely wrong about this, email us at podcast at ingolmag.com because we're considering having the All Millard channel. And uh, mm -hmm. if you think you might be interested in one of those, just let me know. We're, we're going to tabulate all the votes and we'll let Darren know next week.
But it's a, don't worry, folks. It's not an OnlyFans. <laughs> Evergreen, by the way, is a, is a terminology that we use in the business of content creation and uh, television where it lives forever. It's not dated. It, it doesn't, uh, we're not talking about something today uh, that's going on in the game that uh, that is going to be irrelevant or uh, sort of uh, passes prime uh, in, in, a, in a couple of weeks. So just wanted to explain that, you fancy pants with your evergreen. Because evergreens live forever. They're always in bloom. Well, Darren's biology channel. Thank you. <laughs> He's now an arborist. No evergreen, no evergreen uh, has had me had to take care of it over no. while my wife is away over Christmas because nothing uh, lives through that. One uh, Hexall story, when I was a uh, youngster, 10, uh, 9, 10, and 11, uh, I would watch the Week Kings practice in Brandon, and uh, with players would put their helmets on the bench after practice. Back in the day when you could do that, you didn't uh, have, uh, you didn't wear visors, all that kind of stuff, and they would uh, skate or do whatever without their, their helmets, and uh, they would l- be lined up on the bench, and Hexall, before leaving the, the gate in the near corner, would shoot and pick off all the helmets that were lined up on the bench. And the guys, I don't know why they kept putting their helmets on the bench because he would do it after every practice, and he would just one by one, sing, boom, from where helmet gone, from from the corner. So so the bench is uh, uh, in between the blue lines, wow. and he would stand by the uh, the goal line and just zing them and and nail them every time. The trainer boom. must have been thrilled. It was like like target practice. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, I, I'm pretty sure Hexy could do it. Uh, what he wanted. Oh, Woody had a good story that's a lot like that one about Turco, didn't you? Yeah, and I'm trying to remember the exact details. All I remember is the Canucks, uh, their rink was being used. I think the Grizzlies might have even been still here in Vancouver. Marty was in with uh, Dallas. And so they're at Burnaby 8 rinks. And so it's super cold rink, right? And so Marty was out early. They were just, you know, the guys were skating around the rink, getting their legs going. And the trainer, I think it was the trainers or the equipment staff were sort of by the bench. And they had, one guy had a Tim Hortons to, to keep them warm. And you have you, you know, it's not just the coffee, but you're holding it, right? Yeah. He just he, he put it down on the dasher by the bench. And Turco skate, I'll never forget this. Turco skated by backwards, had a puck on his stick. He turns, as he skates by the puck on his stick, and he turns backwards to face the guys as he's drifting away from them. They're standing at this, you know, on standing whatever on the bench, and the coffee's on the dasher. And he just flicks the puck up as he's sort of fading away from them. It lands on the freaking dasher. And starts roll. It lands perfectly on end and starts rolling towards this guy's coffee. And he grabbed it and moved it out of the way. But you're like, you're. Just, I was just like, it was one of those like explosions going off in my head as I watch this. I'm like, oh my god, he did that on purpose. Like just fading away, skating backwards away from the group. Little flick of the wrist, and the puck is on end, on right on the dasher, and rolling towards this coffee cup like it's going to knock it down if the guy doesn't pick it up. My I would, my mind was blown. So what three NHL goalies would you guys want to see in a game of horse? Let's get Gretzky out of there because he can't win. Ooh, that's a I good mean, we one. Could probably Hexy uh, and Turco. Yeah. Yeah. How about current goalies? Mike Smith is probably up there. Mike Smith if it's a distance honest, competition. Mm-hmm. After after watching Matt Valalta like go bar down, crossbar out uh, a few times, I might. There's there's a lot of guys. Tristan Jari. Tristan Jari is one. Yeah, hundred percent. I'd have him in there. I think Alex Nedeljkovic, the way he moves it, like those are some of the guys that I think are underrated great puck handlers in the league. Um, you and Bro I, have watched, guys, you're gonna say Hutch. You and I have watched Kerry um, before those day with price skates that we used to have. Just skate around the ice puck handling moving the puck and then zinging it by a post as he goes by and 
I, I would put him up on that list as a guy who could probably I have to see if we can get some ice out. in Kelowna this summer and maybe have the in goal sponsored horse competition and uh, how many of these guys want to come out like the old days I remember showdown used to be filmed at some local rink yeah. in the summers and played on hockey night in Canada in Muskoka was that where it was I didn't know that yeah yeah, yeah so there well, we can't do Muskoka, but Kelowna is sort of the Muskoka of uh, BC. Maybe let's let's get together, I mean, guys. We just we 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 just listed the names the the best puck handling goalies in the league right now. Carries in Kelowna, Smitty's in Kelowna. Uh, Tristan doesn't live in BC anymore. He's in Alberta. Skates with Carter Hart and Dustin Schwartz in the summer. We could talk them into coming down. Not if we far had away. Some, some round of golf. Yeah, that's a short drive. We're in. We got this. I would like to see a, a game of horse with the four best goaltenders. And then I would like to see a simultaneous at the other end game of horse with four worst goaltenders. Well, just us. Uh, Same with, thing. With the, the handle of the puck. And I want to know how much longer the guys that are still on the ice trying to finish their game of horse compared to the guys that are that are really good at We'd it. We'd be trying to hit the empty net from the face-off dot still. <laughs> I, I was just going to say, like, uh, for some of us, it would be like, okay, guys, don't turn the lights. Turn the lights off on your way out because we'd be there overnight. <laughs> Uh, a lot of fun today. Uh, what a great uh, little bit uh, that we get to spend with John Mattis uh, teeing up that podcast project, uh, Jamie's store. There's a lot of areas that I thought that that discussion was going to go, and uh, and you exceeded uh, all expectations uh, with those stories. Uh, so well done, Hutch. And of course, uh, the hockey shop, thehockeyshop.com, source for sports story, visiting with Cam, who uh, we learned uh, can can put together a nice little list. Oh, he's good with gift baskets, even if he can't good. count to 10. Good, good, good with gift baskets. If, if you like balloons and baskets and <laughs> wrapping, he, he can bring it together. Uh, and thanks to you for, uh, for listening and, uh, and uh, subscribe to that Millar channel. Send it to, uh, what's the uh, email address? Uh, well, if you want the Millard one, you have to email podcast at ingolmag.com. And if you want the other one, ingolmag.com slash IGR features, go subscribe. Okay, either or. It's it's a to me that's a win win. Uh, thanks to uh, Woody, uh, to Hutch, and to everybody for listening on this journey of goaltending on In Goal Radio, the podcast. <laughs> <laughs>